0: Hey, it's Canzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more, and leave us some feedback.
1: Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Bald Baldface Truth. (laughs) B.F.F.T. Now presented by High-Caliber Millwrights, live from Husky Stadium in Seattle, site of Number Twenty-Four Oregon State at Washington. Here's John Canzano with a bald-faced truth.
0: Well, I'm here. I am. I am uh, in Husky Stadium. I am looking down. The band is on the field. As Joe Starkey said once upon a time, the Husky band—that is uh, Washington's band—on the field. Warming up uh, the flag. I'm looking at it. I've been looking at it for some time Gently blowing the wind not a factor right now. I'm told that the uh, winds may pick up later but it looks like a perfect night for football in Seattle Oregon State is going to be here on the field in a matter of time We'll talk about it on today's show. We will check in talk about the Pac-12 conference softy from KJR in Seattle Going to stop by in person. Once you here for that. We'll also visit with Mike Varrell of the Seattle Times. He covers the Huskies. We'll take the temperature on the Huskies. We'll talk about all the Pac-12 games. For those of you who are interested, uh, I am 12-2 in my last 14 picking uh, in the Pac-12. I'll give you my picks, my final answer, so to speak, uh, on today's show. And we'll take your phone calls as well. we got a great show for you. We've got a lot to talk about. Kyrie Irving. Or Kyrie Irving's agent? You tell me who wrote that letter. We'll talk about that and uh, some action in the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball. Of course, we got a World Series on. It's a great time of year if you're a sports fan. But I'm looking down on Husky Stadium. There are no fans yet inside the stadium. The gates are not open. I'm watching as they are bringing out the yard markers If you've never been inside a football stadium before they open the gates, I can tell you it's an interesting uh, uh, operation to see everything come together. Like the dude who is in charge of the chain gang is literally bringing out the markers and setting them down over on the Washington sideline, two sets of markers. The band is on the field. They're wearing raincoats, but it's not yet raining here. There is rain in the forecast. I'll let you know if it starts to rain during our broadcast today. Uh, The... uh, They call it the greatest setting in the Pac-12. But I want to know what you think the greatest setting is. Is it Husky Stadium? Is it Autzen Stadium? Is it somewhere else? Is it Research Stadium after they rebuild the west side? What is the best setting in the Pac-12 conference? Hell, let's open it up beyond that. What's the best place you've ever watched a game at? I want you to tell me about your travels, the places you've been. What is the uh, premier setting where you have seen or witnessed a sporting event? I'll take your calls right off the top of the show. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. You tell me what the best setting that you have ever witnessed a game in because I ranked them years ago, like a couple years ago, I ranked what I thought were the best Pac-12 football stadiums, and I included places like Husky Stadium because you look out and you can see Lake Union, and you can see uh, on, a, on a nice day the sailboats and, and the waters. Today, not so much because the water's got uh, some wind, and uh, obviously we're talking about November weather, not the springtime. I've also heard people talk about Folsom Field in Boulder where the Ducks will play this weekend. Snow on the field at Folsom Field today, as Colorado tweeted out a picture of their field. It's supposed to be nice over the weekend there in Boulder, but we'll see. But I want to know where the best place you've ever seen a game is. Is it Autzen? Is it Reeser? Is it Husky Stadium? Is it somewhere else? Have you watched a, a game maybe, uh, and I'll take all sporting events, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, what's the best place you've ever seen a sporting event? You, yes, you. I'm talking to you as you're listening to this show. 503-417-7575 is the number. Steven, you're back in studio in uh, downtown Portland. Judah, you're there as well. Get, Answer for yourself. Best place you've ever witnessed a sporting event?
2: Uh, yeah. So I mean, I haven't been to too many. I'll be honest with you, but uh, I would say it's Austin Stadium. Uh, I've been there when that place is cooking. Uh, the game I remember is the Halloween game when USC came into town. Uh, Oregon made the Rose Bowl against Ohio State. The Legarrette Blunt year with the punch. Uh, huh. USC came rolling in Halloween. And that place was rocking and unbelievable. Uh, so I, I I'd have to go with Austin Stadium.
0: Judah. Yeah,
3: Miller Park had, for a postseason game in Milwaukee was pretty cool. Oh, would you,
0: so, wait, is this when you were going to school in Chicago? You went to a postseason game, or when was this?
3: That's right, yeah. I went to an NLCS game one, Cardinals-Brewers in 2011, and then I went to World Series game seven in St. Louis.
0: Nice. Love that. Uh, so, if you had to go back, you would say Miller Field was the place. That was the place. Uh, or, I would wonder what, you know, because, look, I, I have had the luxury of being in some different places, and and, it's, and and I'm spoiled by it, but I told my wife today as I headed to Husky Stadium, I said, you know, I often don't stop and look around the way a fan would stop and look around. I think it's a very different experience for a fan who's at Fenway Park or a fan who's at Autzen Stadium or a fan who's at Wildcat Stadium in Tucson who may say, oh, no, 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 that was the best setting. I, I saw a football game that kicked off at sunset at Wildcat Stadium or Arizona Stadium. And uh, you know, but I want I want your answer on this topic. Only you can answer, Judah. What made Miller Field or Miller Park special in your mind?
3: <laughs> the crowd. I mean, the crowd's crazy. The tailgaters are crazy. A good tailgate really helps, uh, and a playoff atmosphere helps as well. So it's got to be a big game in order for that setting to to matter. And that's what that
0: was. 503-417-7575 is a phone number. I've been to Wrigley Field. It's special. It's special because it's Wrigley. It's special because of the history of Wrigley Field. And you think about the players who have stood in the batter's box at Wrigley Field over the years with the 100-plus years of history there, and you go, okay, uh, what happened here? What special players, what Hall of Fame players, you know, uh, stood in the batter's box? And uh, it's the same as, you know, old Yankee Stadium. I remember going there and going, gosh, you know, Babe Ruth stood down there. Joe DiMaggio stood down there. And I remember also being at Fenway Park and – You know, I was at Fenway as a fan. It was a very different experience as a fan. I went through the turnstiles. I settled into my seat, and I thought, you know, the sight lines are different in Fenway Park than they are in modern ballparks that are all spruced up and built for fan uh, pleasure and enjoyment, a little more difficult to get around the stadium, the concourses, even the restrooms at Fenway. I was like, gosh, man. You can just feel how old this place is. Or they hit a foul ball, and a foul ball hits off the uh, back of the press box, and suddenly it goes, and you realize it's wood. Like, it's made out of wood, like when they built that. So, yeah, I want to know where you've been and what you've seen and what is that place. Let's go to the phone line. Sean's in Sandy. Sean, welcome to the show.
4: Hey, John. Uh, I've been to a few stadiums. I've been up there to Husky Stadium, but I'm going to put Dodger Stadium. I think that's probably yeah. the best place I've seen a ball game. That's pretty pretty nice place. And uh, the best thing about it is, you know, the crowd's better looking.
0: <laughs> I don't know about that. Have a great day, brother. <laughs> i would seen some people in L.A. that had some work done. I don't want to get too far into it. But, hey, look, look Dodger Stadium's interesting to me because I grew up, at, you know, going to Candlestick Park. And people will say Candlestick Park, ballpark uh, that had, like, a lot of concrete a lot of plastic seats, a lot of orange, uh, a lot of wind, of course, coming off Candlestick Point in San Francisco. And then, as a journalist, I got a chance to go to Dodger Stadium to cover games, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is a much better stadium, even though I hit, hated the Dodgers. It did feel wide open to me, uh, and all that Dodger blue. Mark is in Portland. Mark, what's that place? What's that stadium?
5: I, I think the big thing is, is uh – you know, what the game is. And when Oregon played Auburn at Glendale, Arizona, that, yes. I'd never heard the crowd that uh, intense when they tied the game 19-19, to that, that moment uh, where Auburn fans and Oregon fans were, like, just going absolutely crazy, and uh, it, that was special. And then, this sounds crazy, I, my bucket list Super Bowl, I, I picked the Detroit when the Steelers played Seattle. It was 20 below outside, but inside that stadium was beautiful to me. It was, I think the older I get, I appreciate the indoor stadiums. Husky Stadium, uh, the first time I went there, uh, when I heard their crowd yell the first time, uh, the first thing I thought was, we're in trouble, because it's so intimidating. There's, there's almost twice as many people there uh, back in the day, and so that, that's another place. Austin Stadium, of course, is a great place to watch a game, um, but it has something to do with the, the importance of the game, you know, I love going to to, te- to Texas Stadium. That's an amazing place, even though the Ducks got beat by Ohio State. So it's I think it has a lot to do with the, the game that's being played itself.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. Like the stakes being big, you know, it the game that's being played, the moment you make or the memory that you make off the game obviously includes part of the game. But I'm sitting here in Husky Stadium. I'm in the press box. The game will be kicking off at 730. I'm looking down press row, and I literally – Can tell you that, like I, you know, I can see all the way down press row. There's like a million seats. There's nobody here yet. The only other soul that may be up on level eight of the press box is Softy from KJR. He popped in just to make sure I had everything I needed, and just to let me know Washington's getting some guys back on defense, and that uh, you know, he he wanted to know about Oregon State's offensive line. I told him I said I think uh, the Beavers are okay on the offensive line. The question. For me tonight, in this game, is not at all about Washington. Like, I kind of know who Washington is. I think they'll throw the ball, and Michael Penix Jr. is good at quarterback, and I think on defense they'll be so-so. The question for me is, can Ben Goldbrunson, the quarterback at Oregon State, can he take a step forward against a defense that's not supposed to be very good and hasn't looked good against uh, credible offenses in this conference? Let's go to the phone lines. I want to know that stadium – that you have seen a game in that is special. Randy's in Springfield. Randy, what do you got?
6: Good afternoon, John. Love your show. Listen to it every day. Thank you. Uh, Hands down for tradition and atmosphere both before the game, after the game, and during the game
0: is the horseshoe at the Ohio State University. Yeah, nice atmosphere. When were you there? Before the Duck game last year. Yeah, and it didn't hurt that the Ducks won that game, did it? (laughs) It
6: didn't hurt, but
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah, sorry, it,
6: not it but, you know, the fans were fantastic before the game. You know, we were showing our colors before the game, after the game. After they had lost, they were just gracious. Just yeah. a great, great experience.
0: Yeah, it's the first place and the only place I've been as a media member. Like, I was wearing no Oregon representation. I had nothing on me that said Oregon. I had nothing on me, whatever. I was walking after the game. I had filed my column in Columbus, Ohio, and I was leaving the stadium, and it was one of those games that kicked off – you know, when I go to travel, I've got three daughters. Two of them are very young, okay? And I don't like being away from them if I don't have to be away from them. Like, I know some people will be like, oh, take the good night of sleep. Take the rest. I have always been eager to get home after games. So I left uh, the uh, stadium there, Ohio Stadium in Columbus, and I, after I filed my column, I looked at the clock and I went, you know what? I wonder if I could jump on a flight tonight, not have to go back. And uh, it so happened that I worked out. I could get on a flight. So I was hustling out of the stadium after I filed my column. And I was standing on the street corner. And there, there were a lot of Ohio State fans that were kind of lingering the parking lot, waiting for Uber rides, whatnot. I'm waiting for my Uber. And I'm overhearing the conversation from the Ohio State fans. And you know what they were doing? They weren't aching about Oregon stealing the game. They were belly aching about, oh, if we could play them, we'd win again. They were giving a lot of credit to Oregon that day. And I thought it was a, uh, you know, it's a small sample size. Of course, I'm walking through the parking lot, whatnot. I can't speak for all of the Ohio State fans. But I thought it was uh, a fan base that is rooted in uh, mostly rational thought as I left the stadium. Like, Oregon outplayed Ohio State, and the Ohio State fans were going, Oregon, you know what, they outplayed us today. Uh, Let's go to the phone lines. Charlie's in Canby. Charlie, what would you see? Hey,
7: John, I got one for you. Um, I can agree with the Rose Bowl. Been there. Been to Glendale but uh, one that's kind of fading slowly is Mac Court. I was at Oregon in the early 2000s with the Lukes, and that place, you were stacked on each other like a bookshelf, and that <laughs> building shook, almost where you were kind of nervous. Uh, but watching the basketball game at Mac Court when the Ducks are rolling is, is pretty irreplaceable.
0: Yeah, I had a few times in there, Charlie, where I thought, you know what, I uh, I hope this place holds together, because it was getting loud and you could feel the building sort of teetering a little bit when the crowd would go nuts at Matt Court. I want your calls, 503-417-7575. I'm broadcasting today from Husky Stadium. Oregon State and Washington will kick off tonight at 7.30. You can watch that game on television, uh, but we're going to talk all about that and the whole Pac-12 schedule and everything else going on in sports. I want you to leave it right here. you got the bald-faced truth
1: beavers huskies this is the bft from husky stadium on 750 the game
0: well i am looking out i can see uh the flag flying above husky stadium here in seattle i am uh i am uh waiting patiently for kickoff you are waiting patiently for kickoff but i am taking in the scene here and i'm thinking a little bit about and a lot about really the different scenes that i have seen over the years when i have covered games in different stadiums i want to know what's that place you've seen a game that's special larry on twitter says uh, connie mack stadium it was the best it was close you were personal uh and up close to the uh to the fans and uh it could get close to the players um, at Shibe Park, who was later known as Connie Mack Stadium, where uh, in Philadelphia, where the Philadelphia A's once upon a time played. Uh, Mark is in Beaverton. Mark, what's that stadium for you?
6: So, John, I had to flip a coin, but you know what? For a one-game experience, it had to be, and just because the odds were with me, it, it had
7: to be um, the Coliseum, the very, very first playoff game that the Blazers played in 1977 because my dad and I went there the day of the game, and I actually had to force him to go to the Coliseum to see if there were any tickets left. There were. He bought two of them. I had to, we had to drive home to Salem, get my friend, hoping he was available, and then drive back up that night, and we sat in the wheelchair section. Those were the only tickets left. But because you know it was the very first playoff game, you had all of his fans hungry for, the, for being in the playoffs for the first time, it was just a magical experience.
0: I love that. Yeah, and, and look, it's it's the atmosphere. It's the stadium. It's the experience. It's the stakes. You know, the band is on the field, as I mentioned earlier, the Husky band, and they're spelling out in, in uh, script. They've got Huskies spelled out. But I can now see, guys, the wind picking up on the field. It is much windier right now than it was when we started this broadcast just, what, 20-something minutes ago. So uh, right now the flags are starting to swirl, and I can see the band members have uh, on the tops of their hats, they have tassels. I can see the tassels now blowing in the wind. So I am, you know, the the meteorologist told us, you know, Matt Zafino of KGW, who is our unofficial chief meteorologist of this radio show, uh, he told me winds 10 to 30 miles an hour, but he thought by the time the game kicked off that most of the weather would be south of the stadium. Right now, I can tell you on the field there is a little bit of wind. I do think it's it's not going to be a major problem unless the wind picks up more. But it looks to be some swirling wind. It looks inconsistent on both ends of the stadium. I'm just looking at the flags now as they fly. We'll keep an eye and keep you uh, keep you uh, updated on that. Let's go to Chris, who's in Portland. The numbers 7575 Chris, what's up, man? Hey, yeah, am I on? You're on,
6: Chris. Okay, great. Um, this, is kind of, this is kind of offbeat for sure, because it's not about the stadium per se, but the experience inside it, which could have only happened here. The Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome. <laughs> yes. And I, I went to a World Series game, the only one, in 1987. And it was the one where Dan Gladden hit a grand slam. It was a home game. <laughs> and yep. um, they won all the home games, and they won the series that year. But Dan Gladden, we are sitting in center field way out there in centerfield because those are the kind of tickets you know you sleep out at night for and um oh my gosh when that when that grand slam took to the air the place was was beyond packed and i never thought it could get any louder but when that ball became a home run which was a grand slam the decibel level just it it leaped and only in that stadium would that have happened yeah, I, so very I, unique I like, place. I like that memory.
0: Very unique place to see, and I bet that place just exploded when Gladden hit that grand salami. I remember. Oh, that.
6: it oh it did, and it was already just incredibly loud. Yeah. It was already that, and uh, but only a only a hermetically sailed stadium with a home <laughs> with a grand slam from a home guy. Yeah, it was great.
0: Anyway, thank you. You're you're liable to get a ball in that stadium that could end up being trouble because it blended in with the backdrop of the roof of the stadium. I can remember that. Let's go to Vlad, who's in Eugene, listening on Fox Sports. Eugene, go ahead, Vlad. What's
7: up, John? Long time no talk. Hope you're doing well. Doing well. Doing well. All right, awesome. Yeah, so Wisconsinite here, so I got to throw down the fact that I've been to Lambeau Field three times. And uh, the three times that I went to Lambeau Field, call it luck, call it whatever you want to call it, all three games were
6: blowouts, uh, two for the home team and one for the away team, two of which, two of which uh, were playoff games too. So uh,
7: definitely going to put Lambeau Field out there because it's gridiron and there's just no, no other place like it.
0: I love it. Yeah, I think that's special, and I think it's one of those bucket list places, right? Like if you are talking about the places in college athletics that you have to go see, I think if you're a Pac-12 fan, I I do think if you're especially if you're a Pac-12 pan, fan who's living in the state of Oregon or Southern Washington, get yourself to to these two, get yourself to the four stadiums that are within a drive. I mean. Get to Husky Stadium for a game. Go to Autzen Stadium for a game. Go to Reser Stadium after the West Side, especially is rebuilt. And I think, you know, a sneaky good little college town is Martin Stadium in, at Washington State in Pullman. It gets a bad rap. I know. When I got to the state of Oregon, I said, Pullman, Washington, the weather's bad there, it rains. And then I saw a college football game at Martin Stadium, and I went, you know what? It's This is sneaky good. James is in Oregon City. James, what do you got?
4: Uh, I used to go to Kaminsky Park in the 50s and 60s uh, when I was back in Chicago visiting my uh, uncle Matt and saw a lot of great guys. Uh, It was a great place to see a game. My uncle didn't like the National League, so we always had to go to Kaminsky Park.
5: (laughs) I love it. I love
4: it. Uh, In fact, my dad and I saw Roger Maris uh, hit the 61st or 62nd uh, home run.
0: There you go. Yeah, Roger Maris. Uh, how about you, Aaron Judge? You, how do you feel about Aaron Judge, uh, you know, breaking Maris's record?
4: Oh, it doesn't bother me too much, you know. Uh, those records need to be broken every once in a while.
0: Re- records made to be broken. Um, I don't know. Are we acknowledging that as the record? Or I guess it's an American League record. Judah, what are you doing with Aaron Judge? Yeah, American League records. Falling. Calling it an AL record. Is, is Bonds the single-season record holder in your mind? I mean he is literally so yeah. yeah but there's some people who say no they're not they refuse to acknowledge it like you know kind of like you know, the United Nations looking at Taiwan like you know it's like do you do you recognize Aaron Judge as the uh, American League record or as the record holder because I heard some people go oh I'm not counting bonds and so so it happened you have to count it don't you I think so I you know I'm not
3: Gonna parse that one out. Plus, Maguire and Sosa both broke sixty-one. They were both yeah. juicing anyway. It's, yeah, it's Judge is great. So I'll give him the AL record. But I think uh, I'm not too worried about pulling Bonds down really.
0: No, and I also think look, it would be great for baseball if somebody came along and hit you know and broke Bonds' record that we knew to be clean. But do we really know anything anymore? I mean, I'm wrestling with that too because I'm looking at baseball, going, okay, let's see what happens with Aaron Judge's career, and in the end, like you know, we the fact that he is a giant human being. We all sort of go, okay, yeah, it's legit, but like, do we know about the pitchers of the Bonds era? Were they using? I don't know, we, you know, and that's a whole other discussion that we have gone round and round on. And I don't want to go down that rabbit hole as I'm sitting inside a football stadium, but here I am. Hey, John,
2: I got a question for you about stadiums. Let's go back to stadiums then. Yeah. Um, you know, you've been to so many. What do you think is a better atmosphere when it's a bigger stadium and there's more people, or when it's more, uh, you know. Uh, what am I looking for? Like a, like a smaller, like intimate, more intimate, yeah, more intimate yeah. or a more intimate stadium where there's more people packed in a smaller area.
0: I think both. I think the answer is both. Like I I have you know I feel really lucky that I've been to you know five Olympic games and covered some Super Bowls and stuff. And what I don't like is when you know you go into a stadium. I think the stadiums of the 1970s that were built in the 70s and 80s were really not done right. Like they all kind of looked the same. They were multi-purpose. There wasn't a feel the stadium i like when i go into a stadium and it's different than any other stadium i like the uniqueness of stadiums and you get that more maybe in baseball than other places but you get it around the pac-12 too the rose bowl is very it's unique like there's not another stadium like it in the pac-12 and and you know you go to husky stadium and there's there's not another stadium that's sitting on the edge of the water this way and the wind blowing into the stadium and you go to Eugene and it's different, especially in the fall when you look up and you can see all the colors in the, you know, on a nice clear fall day in Eugene. So I don't know if if you're asking me if size matters. Is that what you're asking me? Like that's, you're-
2: that's exactly what I'm asking you.
0: <laughs> so I think like look, there's something special, and I've been to like Ohio State. I've been to I've been to Ann Arbor, Michigan. I I've, I've seen those stadiums. I I was a beat reporter and I covered the Big Ten. I got to go see everything in the Midwest. I got to see Notre Dame. I got to see, you know, all the stadiums around the Big Ten, and that was special. I think the SEC fans, the SEC football with the, the, the large stadiums and the crowds that know how to tailgate, there's an atmosphere in those that can't be matched, I think, by some of the stadiums, especially on the western part of the United States. But I think it, the answer is both. Like, I just want a unique experience. And for me – like, I, I tell you, like, even seeing Belmont Park, the racetrack, 130,000 people in that racetrack when Smarty Jones was running for the Triple Crown. And that is one. That is a scene that stays with you, like, to see that many people in one place. I don't know that I've ever seen that many people in one place. Let's go to the phones. Brad's in Eugene. Brad, what do you got? Hey, uh, I
7: grew up in Washington, D.C., and so I was a, a fan, uh young kid
4: in RFK, watching the heyday of uh, the aforementioned Washington football franchise, <laughs> uh, and there was
8: nothing like RFK when it was rockin', and literally rocking. that it was a weird stadium and that the whole lower deck was set up on these railroad tracks
4: so they could roll it to make an outfield for baseball and because of that you've seen it on on tv just it going up and down a good six inches from the crowd it just was yep. so incredible
0: uh, yep. i love that and i think too like you know husky stadium used to have that feel before they redid the press box, I can remember being in the press box maybe 20 years ago, and the crowd would get rocking, and I felt like I was moving. Like, you literally were moving. The, the stadium st- would start to move around a little bit. Mike Farrell covers the Washington football program for the Seattle Times. He's going to join us next. I'm live from Husky Stadium. Oregon State will play Washington here on this great Friday night. Uh, the wind's, uh, you know, mild. I can see the American flag blowing over Husky Stadium. It's not wild. I don't see 30-mile-an-hour winds at this point. Looks like a great night for football. Leave it here.
1: We're on the road. Back to the BFT with John Canzano, live from Husky Stadium on 750, The Game.
0: I'm live from Husky Stadium. The uh, Ducks. The, uh, isn't it bad? I got onto the elevator, and the elevator operator said to me, are oh, Ducks playing today? And here I am. I'm going, no, it's Oregon State. And here I went to go say Ducks. Uh, Ducks have played some big games against the Huskies here at this stadium, but uh, this one tonight, 7.30, it'll be the Beavers on uh, – What will maybe a windy night here in Seattle Wind picking up a little bit here, but let's go to the let's go out to our guest Mike Farrell of the Seattle Times covers the Huskies. He's joining us now. Uh, How are you, man? Is this a big game for Washington or is just just another game?
7: Doing well, John. I just finished adding about nine layers, so I'm feeling pretty good about tonight. Um, I think you know it's all a matter of perspective, obviously. But you know, it's a big game when you have two six and two teams. I think really it's a matter of perspective. Where you know the UW fans' perspective has shifted a couple times this season. I think going into the year, you hoped maybe for an eight-win season after going four and eight last year, and then all of a sudden you're four and zero, and you think, well, what can this team do? Can they win a, a conference championship? Can they push for that? And they had a couple tough losses and they had some injuries in the middle of the year and some things like that. And I think this game will mean a lot in, tor- um, in, in terms of really seeing, you know, what the goal should be ending the season. They've got a tough stretch, obviously, with Oregon next week. You, know, you finish the year with Washington State. Is this an 8-4 team? Is it a team that could, that could kind of stumble on the stretch? You know, could they finish 9-3? and three? I think tonight, you know, with a, a UW team that hasn't played much quality competition, they thought Michigan State was a quality team. It turns out it was not Stanford, obviously. We know what they were, Cal, all of these teams. Their quality wins haven't been quality wins. So I think tonight will go a long way in seeing where they are and where they're going to be the next couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, this is an offense I think that scares people. Michael Penix, Jr., the receivers. The early in the year I thought this is the best passing offense in the conference. How have they looked in recent weeks to you?
7: Uh, they've still been very strong I mean Penix against Cal that's a defense that doesn't want to give up ex- explosive plays and you know they gave up some against you know Oregon obviously but Penix was extremely efficient there weren't the 30 40 50 yard connections but uh you know he had 36 completions in that game which tied his own program record and of course against Arizona which is you know a very porous pass defense they lit them up so you know Michael Penix Jr. has been every bit the player that he's been all season I think You know, they have such a a varied receiving core when it comes to Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan and Jalen Polk and Giles Jackson. There's just such a wealth of targets there that makes them really dangerous. Now, we haven't seen what the Seattle fall is going to do to this passing offense, and you mentioned that a little bit. We'll see if the wind plays a factor or if rain plays a factor or this or that, but this is certainly a dangerous passing offense and one that's coming off of a bye as well.
0: The uh, the defense uh, early in the year, I had the impression that this was so weird because I don't associate a, a porous defense with Washington. Like you know, last year I, uh, defense was the least of their problems; it was a real strength. How has that that uh, that whiplash sort of perception of the program, uh, you know, how is that explained, or how do, how are fans dealing with the idea of the you know, this is a really good offensive team that suddenly looks like if it could put the defensive uh personality that it's had in recent years uh together that it would be really formidable
7: well it's just been such a specific thing because when you talk defensively this is a team that's leading the league in opponent yards per carry uh they're the best in the pack 12 they're the best in the pack 12 in sacks per game so they've been really really good in some specific places and really really bad in one which is pass defense third down defense uh their secondary that's been so good for so long like you said this hasn't been there, and there have been some significant injuries. When you talk about, you know, their starting corners going into the year, Mish Powell and Jordan Perryman, one has missed four games, the other has missed three games. They had a, a starting safety, Ace Turner, who's their best playmaker, who's missed three games. Uh, they're healthy now, but but what it's really exposed is the, la- the lack of depth. I mean, they they obviously lose Trent McDuffie and Tyler Gordon to the NFL draft, um, and you go beyond who their starters were coming into the season, which I think are sort of league average. And beyond that, there's really no one who had played. And it it is very young, very inexperienced, uh, not as highly touted in terms of recruiting rankings as what they had had under Jimmy Lake. So I think once those first couple guys went down, that was a position where they couldn't afford to have injuries. And when they did, they couldn't answer for that.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point. Oregon State has uh, been the opposite. They've been really good on the defensive side of the ball. They have, you know, they grind out points here and there. Um, I, I think it's really interesting to watch. Uh, Kalen DeBoer, early returns from you. You've you've watched him up close. Uh, you talk to him more frequently than most. What are your impressions of DeBoer in year one?
7: Yeah, I mean, I think people love the, the culture that he's building there. And, and what people talk about with him is just the steadiness, where obviously they lost a couple of games. But he's someone who I think just has a quiet confidence in what he's building and the way that he goes about things. Obviously, the offense has been every bit as explosive as people hoped and, and it's easy you know when you have these these results to forget about where they came from where they struggled so much offensively last year and of course they've had a huge upgrade at quarterback but you got to remember that the offensive line is pretty much exactly the same and the wide receiving core is pretty much exactly the same as last season there haven't been big additions in those areas so schematically what Deboer has done what ryan grubb has, has done has been really impressive the question is you know how are they going to go about it in recruiting in terms of building the depth and getting the kind of players that they want, but you know the early returns both from results, uh, offensive results, and also I think the culture within the pro- the program has been sort of what people had hoped for and expected from Kalen
9: DeBoer.
0: This weather tonight, Mike. Um, you know I'm looking down on the field now. I'm in the press box and broadcasting here and. You know, early in the broadcast, I thought, oh, no, no factor. And then it did pick up, and it seems to be really inconsistent. If the wind is a factor, can Washington run the ball in this game? Can they win running the football?
7: It's a great question. I mean, they've had games where they've been pretty impressive doing that. They've had games where they haven't been effective whatsoever doing that. Um, I think when you look at you know who they have there in, the, in, in that position, a guy like Wayne Talapapa, who's sort of their de facto starter, 5.3 yards per carry. Cameron Davis, 10 touchdowns, leads the Pac-12, 4.8 yards per carry. Richard Newton, 5.3 yards per carry. Uh, in terms of their running backs, they've been somewhat effective. It's just you know they don't, they don't have a dual threat quarterback. Michael Penix Jr. doesn't really do that, and they haven't leaned on it. So. They have to know that when you're going into this stretch in the Pacific Northwest and you're playing a game like this and you're going to be playing at Oregon and then you're going to be playing Colorado and Wazoo and there's going to be rain and there's going to be snow, they've got to be, I think, more varied, more balanced than they've been. Uh, they haven't had to show that so far. So I think it's going to be one of those where when they have no other choice, can they do it? And we may have to see that tonight.
0: We're talking to Mike Farrell Seattle Times. Uh, the perception outside in of Oregon State, I'm curious kind of, you know, to get your thoughts on where what you see with Jonathan Smith's program
7: yeah I you know I I just have I have last season's game kind of seared into my head where I think that last year's Oregon State game where they snapped the nine game losing streak against Dub really was still what this program does in terms of being so dedicated to the run being so disciplined I think they ran for like 242 yards in that game uh, they ran it 50 times because, you know, UW's uh, pass defense was so good and its run defense was so bad. And when they needed to win the game, they just ran it and ran it and ran it and ran out the clock and and kicked a game-winning field goal and just did exactly what they wanted to do deliberately, methodically. And I think that's what this program is. I mean, it's not the most talented group, but but Johnson Smith gets every ounce out of the guys he has. And, and I think I'm just curious to see, you know, UW's you know, run defense has been much improved statistically thus far. But they know they're going to be challenged. I don't think Jonathan Smith and Co. are going to try to trick him. You know, can they match up against that? And I'll be really curious to see that tonight.
0: You know, the, the departure of Jonathan Smith, Chris Peterson's program, how much do you think that hurt Chris Peterson's program and or maybe contributed to him kind of walking away? Or is that a non-story or maybe not part of the equation in your mind?
9: I
7: don't think it factored into – Chris Peterson decided to walk away a couple years later, but I do think that it hurt the program. Certainly when Jonathan Smith left, I feel like the local perception was, oh, well, I don't know how important he was. It was Chris Peterson. He was the offensive guy. But then you install a Bush Hamden and it just didn't work. And, you know, uh, an offense and an offensive mind, and Chris Peterson that had been hailed as being so creative throughout his time at Boise State, it started to seem to get a little bit stale. And And I think when you look back at it, Jonathan Smith had a lot more to do with the 2016 success and 2017 success uh, that maybe we give him credit for. So, you know, it's an interesting thing in, in the re- retrospect to look at that because I think in the moment UW fans kind of maligned Jonathan Smith as they do with most offensive coordinators when you're, you know, when you're not throwing, putting up, you know, 500, 600 yards a game. And now it, it seems to be apparent just how much of his fingerprints were on those offenses.
0: All right, Mike, before I cut you loose, what's your feel on this game? I I picked Oregon State in a close game, but I was expecting ugly, ugly, ugly weather, and it looks like it'll be windy, but otherwise it looks okay.
7: Yeah, very little feel. I feel like these are, I I mean, obviously the the records are the same, 6-2, and and I think these are, are very interestingly matched teams in opposite ways. Like you know, when Oregon State runs the ball as you know, with as much determination as they do, and UW has the pass offense. And I picked UW by, by a point, 31-30, and I kind yeah. of just chalked it up to it being a pick em game and the fact that UW is 5-0 and at home and, and they've been very good there. And if they can, you know, if they can still move the ball and if Penix can be effective, as he has been, and, and they force a turnover or two and stop the run, which to some degree, which they've done this season, then they've got a shot. But but to me, it's a pick em game, and it'll just be interesting to see which team's style of play can really be more effective?
0: I'm always curious too because you get a chance to see teams and you see them in different matchups. Because you're watching Washington, who do you think the best team in the Pac-12 is? Whether you've seen them on TV or seen them in person,
7: it's hard to know because I haven't seen Oregon yet up close. And I think next week might go you know a ways towards determining that. And I lean towards saying Oregon. Um, obviously, Utah has been in some really interesting battles, and USC you don't know exactly what to expect because obviously you know they probably should have lost to Oregon State, and they've had games where they look fantastic, and, and it's just hard to know. But I think Oregon, you know, outside of that opener, which, which it seems to me that there's two or three really, really excellent teams in college football, and then there's sort of everybody else, I would guess that Oregon is the, is the class of the conference, but I think we'll know a lot more in the next couple of weeks.
0: Mike Farrell, Seattle Times, I appreciate you, and I will see you in the press box.
7: All right, sounds good. Thanks, John.
0: He does great work, follow him on Twitter, read him at the Seattle Times, does a hell of a job covering his team, does everything a beat reporter should do in letting uh, fans know what's going on. I read him. Uh, there are you know, several beat writers across the conference that get it done, and you know I bring on those writers, like Josh Newman yesterday, Salt Lake Tribune. You want to know what's going on with Utah, that's the guy you read. Um, I think it's an interesting matchup, I and we're going to kick it around a little bit more coming up uh, as we go around the conference uh, later in the show. But it's a really interesting matchup to kind of look at what Washington is. There, they are a pass happy offensive team. And guys, I got to tell you, you know how the goalposts have a foam protector that wraps around the goalposts, you yes. know, in the stadium. Yeah. On one end of Husky Stadium, that just blew off and it <laughs> rolled out to about the 15 yard line. Two band members have retrieved it and they are taking it back to the goalpost. That's the kind of wind that it is. Like it doesn't look like it's blowing, but right now they have flags from a variety of countries that are on the field. They're doing. They're running through. I think what will be their halftime show right now, and those flags are whipping right now. So down on the field, it is very windy right now at Husky Stadium. So keep an eye on that. Is Michael Penix Jr. in Washington's pass offense against the Beavers' run game and the Beavers' defense? This is a really interesting. Stylistic matchup. We'll talk about those coming up. Also, author Jeff Perlman—he's written a book about Bo Jackson. It's getting a lot of run. Perlman will join us to talk about his books. Softy from KJR later in the show as well. You got the Bald Face Truth statewide. Leave it here.
1: It's Friday Night Lights and Pac-12 After Dark. Back to the Bald Face Truth from Husky Stadium on 7:50. The game.
0: Friday Night Lights, pack 12 After Dark, those things going on together. We've set the scene from Husky Stadium. It is uh, windy here, I'll tell you that. I can see down onto the field. Uh, for those of you who are interested in following the game, I've got photographer Serena Morones, who is fantastic shooting the game tonight. If you want to see the photo gallery, we'll have it at johnconzano.com. You can see the game in photos. For those of you who want to read my column off the game or anything that I've written, uh, you can read me exclusively at johnkanzano.com Jeff Perlman, author of the new Bo Jackson book, Bo as a Folk Hero, uh, coming up at 4 o'clock. We'll give our Pac-12 picks in the 4 o'clock hour. Softy from KJR in Seattle will be joining us and popping on in the 5 o'clock hour, the happy hour. And uh, I'll take you all the way, uh, really, to 6 o'clock right here on 750 The Game and uh, across the BFT radio network in Fox Sports Eugene and Roseburg on 1490 AM and in Klamath Falls on 960 AM. Appreciate everybody who makes this show part of their day. First though, let's do the Big Splash. It's splashy. It's the one thing you need to know today.
1: This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash.
0: Well, Brooklyn Nets star Kevin Durant said that the fallout from Kyrie Irving's social media posts that center on an anti-Semitic book and movie is a quote-unquote unfortunate situation that, quote, just sucks all around for everybody. And hopefully, Kevin Durant says, they uh, can move past it as a team. I think it's a a really bad situation for the Nets. Uh, Irving was suspended by the Nets yesterday for no less than five games after he failed to formally apologize during a news conference earlier in the day. Uh, later in the evening, he issued an apology over Instagram, but uh, a lot of people believe that it was written by his uh, his agent. I don't know if it was. I don't know if it wasn't. But uh, the best course of action, uh, was it to suspend Kyrie Irving? Sean Marks, general manager in Brooklyn, says it was really all they had at their disposal.
8: The organization has made multiple attempts to... Uh to get with Kyrie and his representation, and to have them clarify
0: his feelings and you know put out a sense of remorse for this, and that
4: obviously didn't happen, and he he refused to disavow that until his uh, until his text, until his tweet last night. So um, I think this was the best course of action um, as as it stands right now is, is to suspend him, you know, because that those uh, you know those are, they're not the values of our of, of our organization right
0: now. There it is, Sean Marks uh, talking to media. A lot of people uh, upset at Kyrie Irving. And guys, what do you make of it? Like, all right, on one hand, I think the media gave him the opportunity to apologize numerous times. He did not. He did not disavow. uh, You know, he was asked, you know, about his anti-Semitic tweet or Instagram post. And he had every opportunity to say, no, I, you know, I I stand in support. You know, I'm not anti-Semitic. He didn't say that. Then last night after he realizes he's going to be fined, or after his agent figures out he's going to be fined about $2 bucks minimal, uh, he comes out with a statement, and then he gets criticized for the statement. Uh, is it fair to criticize him for the statement after the actions, or how do you guys sort through that? Yeah, I
2: mean, it's tough because, like, yesterday we were talking about it, and that's all I wanted. I wanted an apology. I wanted to see him say the words that he's sorry for what he did, and he did that. So for me, like, do if I, if I believe it or not, I think that's irrelevant. Like, I got exactly what I wanted, and he's yeah. been suspended. So, like, I can't be mad no matter how it sounds, right? Like, he did exactly what I wanted him to do. Um, you know, Whether I believe him or not, that's another thing. But, you know, he did it. He apologized, and I think that's good for me.
0: Judah, where do you stand on that?
3: Yeah, I, I don't believe Kyrie's apology, but I also don't think it matters. So yeah. I'm glad he's suspended. It closes the book on it for me for now, but, you know, I already had my mind made up on the guy.
0: Unless, you know, there there are – There are people who deal with mental illness. There are people who just have personalities that are hard to deal with in regular life. And I I don't know if we should be surprised that sometimes they also occur in the professional sports realm. Kyrie Irving, I'm just glad he's not Portland's problem. Leave it here.
1: B.F.F.T. Now. Presented by High Caliber Millwrights. Live from Husky Stadium in Seattle. Site of number 24, Oregon State at Washington. Here's John Canzano with a ball faced Truth.
0: Well, I'm at Husky Stadium. I'm here. The band is on the field. I've said that numerous times. It's still on the field. I had no idea that the band's practiced this much. The Washington... Marching band is on the field. They're in uh, raincoats. They are dealing with some wind and some weather down there. I don't see rain yet, but the winds are definitely swirling at Husky Stadium. It'll be interesting to see how much of a factor they are in tonight's game as Oregon State will be playing Washington, kicking off on 7.30. 7.30 kickoff, big football game for both programs. There's a huge division right now between the... Uh, Oregon State, Washington grouping in the Pac-12, uh, uh, you know, standings. And the uh, and the rest of the teams that are at the top of the conference, Oregon, USC, UCLA, Utah. There's a division there right now. And so this is the kind of game that if Oregon State wants to stay in that upper echelon of the conference, they've got to win, right? They just get ranked. We, all, we have all seen that happened before, uh, you know, Oregon State just gets back to ranked, and and what happened? Like, I had a bunch of, you know, the uh, negative Nellies out there say, oh, they just got ranked. Watch what happens. Um, so, uh, I think, you know, let's see what happens as Oregon State uh, has the opportunity here in this game to stay with the Haves, so to speak, at the top of the conference, and this is kind of a fork in the road, I think, for Jonathan Smith and his program. If they're going to Rattle around if they're going to matter down the stretch in games against Oregon, especially their bowl game. Uh, if they're going to make a run at ten wins, they got to get this one, and and that's you know that's a fact. Like I I'm looking at this stretch here that includes Washington, Cal, and Arizona State, and a lot of people have said hey they got to win two out of three. I I actually think winning this game this is the this is the highest de- degree of difficulty for Oregon State if they can win this game. Uh, in Seattle tonight, I, I think there's a uh, fair chance that they arrive at the end of the season on November 26th uh, at Research Stadium against Oregon. I think there's a really good chance that they sit there at 9-2. and two. Uh, Coming up, our next guest, uh, Jeff Perlman. You've read him. New York Times bestselling author. He's written all kinds of amazing books. And a guy that I really respect, a guy that I love to read, uh, is written about a subject that I'm really interested in reading. You know Bo Jackson. And people in the state of Oregon will know, across this network, will know, you know, the Bo Knows campaign with Nike. Like, that was a big deal nationally, globally. Uh, The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson, is out. Jeff Perlman is the author, and he's joining us now to talk about the book. Jeff, hey, I appreciate you making time for us. Thank you uh, for for, uh, making time for this interview. What made you want to write about Bo? Well,
4: first of all, the most important thing is you had me calling at the wrong time. This is totally fine because I negotiated yes. a T-shirt and a mug in return for calling an app out later. Right. So this is win-win. This is total win-win. Uh, no, no big deal at all. Sorry, man. Um, I um, I'm am. I'm very nostalgic. I'm 50 years old. I'm super nostalgic. I'm really into sort of looking back, which sometimes is good, sometimes bad. And when I think about sports and who I want to write about, honest to God, I think a lot about like my boyhood room in mail Path, New York and the posters on the wall. And there's Ricky Henderson. There's Michael Jordan. There's Don Mattingly. There's Ken Griffey senior. And you know, the biggest one was probably Bo Jackson. And I just, I always loved him as a kid. I always thought what he was doing. The two sport thing was just amazing and mind blowing. And then he vanished. He just vanished. And in a lot of ways writing this book was like writing, it could have been a Tupac biography or a JFK biography. It was like writing about someone who, who died young, except his death was only in sports, not in life. But I just thought it was a really good topic. In a
0: very I, I, I'm the same way because I remember, you know, that, that baseball card that score put out that Bo had the bat on his shoulder in black and white, yeah. and it was you know, printed horizontally. And I remember seeing him throw from the outfield run on the football field. Like he could do it all. Um, you know, what else did you learn about Bo? Like, you know, the plane, the, that plane incident where did he get up in the cockpit? Is that true? that he helped try to so, help the pilots or what?
4: Well, I kind of used it early on in the book because I thought it really exemplified who he is. Um, he was with the White Sox at the time. He was 91. They were flying back from Anaheim after a game against the Angels. And um, midway through the flight, the uh, one side of the plane is engulfed in planes and the engine caught on fire. And, you know, the players are freaking out. People are screaming. People are cocooning themselves in pillows, whatever you do when your plane you think is going down. And all of a sudden, the cockpit door opens, and out walks Bo Jackson. And he says, "Uh, everyone calm down. Everyone calm Why was he in the cockpit? You know, nobody knows. Everyone calm down. It's going to be okay. Pilots have her under control. And I have this whole story from multiple white Sox about Bo Jackson coming out of the cockpit. But then I get another story that he wasn't in the cockpit. The plane is on fire. Everyone's freaking out. And Bo Jackson gets out of his seat and runs up to the cockpit to help the pilots land the plane. And both stories—I wrote I in the book, you know—only because it's Bo Jackson. Maybe both are true.
6: And <laughs> the,
4: the funny thing is, this is—they wound up landing, making an emergency landing in Des Moines, Iowa. And um, they get off the plane. It's three thirty in the morning. Everyone is freaked out. They all thought they were going to die. And there's a—the uh, the airport is empty and there's a kiosk with a keg uh, attached to a to a uh, lock. And Bo Jackson, this is according to many, many people, picks up the keg, breaks off the lock with his fist, and starts handing out pouring beer for everyone. And I always say the great mythology of Bo Jackson is where did he get the cups from?
0: <laughs> I love that. Jeff Perlman is our guest. Uh, the book's called The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. So many good stories with him, and... You know, you bring up uh, the comparisons. I, I want to say, like, you know, Jim Thorpe. Uh, but mm-hmm. n- you know what happens is nobody gets – I don't hear it today. I don't hear somebody talking about a college player or NFL player or Major League Baseball player going, you know who he reminds me of? Bo Jackson. You don't hear that.
4: No. I would say the people nowadays – the closest we have in a lot of ways uh, to Bo Jackson is Shohei Otani, yeah. uh, just in the fact of like, oh, my God, how is he doing that? And, oh, my God, I've never seen that before. The big difference is we were seeing videos of Otani, uh, you know, on Twitter and on Instagram and TikTok before he even came to America. And, you know, Bo Jackson, Bo ran a 41340 at Auburn, which is utterly preposterous, especially at 225 pounds, but there's no video of it. You know, he ran a 41740 on grass in pads with the Raiders, but there's no video of it. He did so many things where there was no video that it's just eyewitnesses that it really has a full hero Paul Bunyan type feel to it, which makes it really kind of fun, actually.
0: Jeff, as you're as you're writing this book, you know, I am curious about how Bo's teammates viewed him. Did he have good relationships with all of his teammates? How was he viewed in a NFL locker room, Major League Baseball locker room? You know, did you get a different uh, viewpoint from two sports, or did, did did everybody sort of think, hey, this is the authentic Bo, and it's one and the same?
4: Um, he was prickly. He was very prickly. He was not warm and fuzzy. never has been. Um, I'd heard early on that he beat the crap out of Kevin Seitzer, the Rural's third baseman, and I was kind of intrigued by that. And it turns out he did beat the crap out of Kevin Seitzer, the Royals' third baseman. Um, he was, it was during a dispute during batting practice under the stadium in Kansas City. Seitzer was kind of annoying. He's now a coach of the Braves, good guy, but at the time kind of a gnat, a you know, just annoying, always buzzing around. And one day he's giving Bo grief. Uh, while they're taking BP, and Bo basically says, you need to stop. And Seitzer doesn't read the signals, and he's like, no, I'm gonna you you know, blah, 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 blah. And Bo Jackson grabs, takes his hand, grabs him by the neck, lifts Kevin Seitzer off the ground. Kevin Seitzer starts turning blue. Teammates come rushing over, trying to rip Bo Jackson off of him, grab his arm, he finally lets go. Seitzer falls to the ground, and uh, at, at you know, everything passes, and Maybe an hour later, Saito comes up to Bo and he's like, "Hey, yeah, man, I hope we're good." And Bo Jackson's like, "We're not good. You do not mess with me ever again." And it was like, "Okay, I won't let mess with you." He
6: was—he was a
4: quiet guy. He—he he didn't like signing autographs for teammates. If he was playing football, he would never sign a baseball autograph. Like you couldn't be on the Raiders and bring him a Royals jersey. You couldn't bring on the be on the Royals and bring him a Raiders jersey. Uh, very sensitive. But, you know, always performed. So, ultimately, that's kind of where you want most of all.
0: You talked about the disappearance of Bo, and I remember him trying to do a little television that didn't go well. Why do you think he did disappear? Was that by choice, or was he just, when he wasn't playing, was it not the same?
4: Well, you might be referring to the cartoon pro stars, which yeah. was Bo Jackson, Michael Jordan, and Wayne Gretzky as cartoon superstars who fought bad guys. And Bo Jackson didn't even do his own voice. None of those yeah. guys did, so it's kind of funny. He, um... You know, he never really craved celebrity. Never. Kansas City was probably the best market for him, mid-major. Uh, he never wanted to be the guy signing autographs. He hated being approached during meals. Um, when he retired, he tried acting a little bit, but didn't really didn't really love it. Um, he's a guy really happy uh, being in the woods hunting, being with his grandkid, shoveling his driveway, shooting bows you know, shooting arrows in the backyard at his little setup. He just never had it. You know, people are like, people always, we always tend to do in sports, us in the media, we'll often be like, it's such a shame that he didn't get more blank, or it's such a shame that he's not in the Hall of Fame. He doesn't give a crap. He doesn't care. Just is not in his DNA.
0: How did he feel about you writing the book?
4: That's a hell of a question. So I talked to him very early on. I sent him a couple of my other books and a note, and he, uh, he called me one day. He called me in 2020, and he's like, hey, this is Bo Jackson. I was like, hey, and he, uh, He was driving to get his wife a chopped salad, and he said, I got your letter. I don't have a problem with you writing the book. We had a really nice conversation. He's like, I don't have a problem with you writing it. He goes, I get approached all the time. It's not something that really interests me, but I don't have a problem with you doing it. So um, I went about it. Without him, you know, I didn't interview him. I I would update him every now and then in the mail. I'd send him stuff that I found. And I got really lucky because – He had an autobiography come out in 1990 called Bo Knows Bo that was written by Dick Schaap. Hmm. And before Dick Schaap passed away, he donated all his notes and all his audio tapes to the uh, Auburn Library. Hmm. So there's this hours and hours and hours and hours of never-listened-to interviews between Bo Jackson and Dick Schaap. Um, And it'd been sitting there for 30 years, you know, gathering dust. So I had a ton of new, never-before-heard Bo material that kind of made up for his lack of involvement.
0: I love that. And I, I, I think, you know, look, it's a it's being touted as a really honest look at Bo, the life and myth of Bo Jackson, the last folk hero. I don't think we're going to get another Bo with the specialization that, that has kind of gone on in this era. Like, do you think in this era we could have another Bo Jackson? Or if Bo came along in this era, would he have just been too talented for to not be able to do what he still did?
4: Well, here's what I can tell you as a guy from – I'm in New York right now, but I'm from – I live in uh, – southern california yeah and i have two kids and if any of my kids had any athletic talent which they don't because they're sports writers kids they were you know like if you're eight years old and you you know it's true if you're eight years old and some coach sees you throw a fastball you know that can't be hit well all of a sudden oh man you we have we have to get you working with so-and-so coach who used to pitch triple a with the so-and-so and yeah and then we need to get you on this and and the kid may say, but I really want to play basketball. And they're going to be like, don't you understand? Those other two kids, they're already getting coached. And they already know how to throw sliders. And we've ruined, absolutely ruined, across America, the joy of being a kid and playing a bunch of sports and playing folk- football in your backyard and playing pickup hoop. Seriously, it drives me crazy, this area of specialization. And you take a guy like Bre- uh, Bo Jackson, or even like I wrote a biography of Brett Favre and Walter Payton, you take those guys. And you put those kids in the modern world, and they're told from seven years old, you need to play this sport only. And I, it sucks. So I don't think, no, I don't think there would be a Bo Jackson nowadays.
0: You know, what's funny is and I bring on athletes that are pro athletes, and, and they, they, to a person, will preach, uh, you know, do, play as many sports as possible. Play everything. You don't need to specialize. But, but parents do not listen. Parents don't get nope. that message, and we and look. The reality is, and you know it because you're a sports writer, and I know it. I've been you know covering sports. It's it's that the vast majority of these kids are never going to play a sport at a level that would even matter that they specialized.
4: Man, listen. If any parent is listening right now, I really need this. This is why I keep saying my kids are now my kid's are a high school junior and a college sophomore. Your kids will grow up so fast; it's a blink, and to ruin their childhoods because you have your dead set on them getting a scholarship or becoming a professional, blah, 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 it's almost child abuse. It's so disturbing. Let your kids be kids. Let them play multiple sports. Let them have fun. It's, it's Just just to treat your kids like they're investment, future investments, it hurts my head as a sports writer. Most, you're right. Most athletes I know who I'm friends with feel the exact same way.
0: Jeff Perlman is our guest. The last folk hero, the life and myth of Bo Jackson, I encourage you to grab it. Get it at your local bookstore. Get it at Powell's Books. Get it at Barnes & Noble. Order, design, order it on Amazon. Jeff, before I let you go, uh, I get the impression, like, sometimes when you dive into a book, you probably maybe leave the subject matter thinking, well, this is a complicated person. I'm not sure if I like this person as much as I did before I started the project. I get the impression you like Bo Jackson more after learning more about him.
4: I do. Um, I do a lot. I uh... The thing is, you ask yourself, when you see someone's prickly, sometimes you say, well, what what made him prickly? And then you look at Bo, and he was one of 11 kids born into abject poverty in, in Alabama. Um, he was going to school in his sister's hand-me-down shoes, or if those weren't available, socks. He grew up sleeping on the floor of a three-room house, rolling up against the heater, waking up with burn marks on his body, uh, severe stutter held back a year. So I look at him, and I look at what he's become, and I look at what he civilizes, and I'm blown away. And I just, I'm, I'm, his perseverance is second to none. And he's, he's a role model times a thousand.
0: You send him the book. I'm sure he's taking a look at it. What feedback did he give you?
4: I haven't gotten any yet. Unfortunately, I have not gotten any. So I don't know. It bums me out. I always like knowing one way or another, but I don't yeah.
0: know. Yeah. You know, I think one day he'll call you when he's going to get a chopped salad and he'll be like, Perlman, that was not bad. Thank you.
5: Yeah. <laughs>
0: maybe. <laughs> All right. Hey, thank you for making time. I'm sorry that I had you called too early, but thank you for delivering. I'm encouraging people to pick this book up. I'm going to buy it. I think, uh, I'm think i going to give it to my dad because I think he'd really get a kick out of reading it. So, Jeff, thanks for writing the book. Thanks for joining us.
4: Just buy me a chopped salad next time I'm in, in Oregon. <laughs> we'll I will call it even.
0: You got it. We're even. Jeff Perlman, there he is, best-selling author New York Times. The book, if you want it, The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. I don't know about you, Stephen. I don't know about you, Judah. But uh, you know, I, I want to read this book, and you could tell how excited Jeff Perlman was about writing it.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's such a such a legend in a way where it's like, you know what? How, you know, you guys talk like specialization. Had he focused on just one sport, oh. how could could he have been? Hall right? of he was, Famer, yeah, Hall of Famer. But he was so good yeah. at everything. Like he was an awesome player, and there'd never be someone like him. Like I remember playing with him in uh, Tecmo Super Bowl. The Nintendo game. Yeah. Unstoppable in that game. Like, that's (laughs) my first thought. But then I also played RBI baseball, and he was awesome in that game. Like, it's amazing how good he is as an athlete.
3: Yeah, I know you're in Seattle, John. So the the Bo Jackson, Kingdome, Monday Night Football run is what I always remember. And you need a larger-than-life figure to— to almost justify a biography like this, that's exactly what Bo is and, and was. So I'll look forward to reading
0: the book. Paul Bunyan-like as a as an athlete. Uh, I am at Husky Stadium where the wind is blowing. Is it gusting? Yeah. I think it's inconsistently gusting. I do think it'll be a factor tonight in this football game. We'll drill down on our picks in the Pac-12, plus we'll play some Punch it Audio. want you to leave it here.
1: The Beavs are wrecked. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano, live from Husky Stadium on 750 The Game.
0: I'm live today from Husky Stadium. Just like the big voice guy says, Oregon State will be playing Washington 730 kickoff. You'll watch it on television. I'm here to talk about it and the rest of the Pac-12 Conference. I am looking out over Lake Union. I'm looking out over the uh, stadium here at Husky Stadium. I am uh, uh, eager to see some football played here. I'll tell you when the teams get on the field, nothing on the field yet. I've been in a lot of stadiums before they open, but I'll tell you, I drove in last night, and I was on I-5, and I was on the bridge right by the University of Washington campus and the University of Washington Medical Center, and I was exiting uh, onto what is 45th Street that is, uh, you know, not far, just a mile away from the stadium, and I could see the purple glow of the stadium at night, and it was really cool. It was like, you know, I wrote about it today at johnconzano.com, and I kind of described it as a nightlight in the hallway because there's darkness behind it with the water and everything behind the stadium, and... It just that blue, that purple hue that comes up out of the stadium as they light it, and and I think the landmarks in Seattle. I, people talk about the Space Needle, but the landmarks as you drive into downtown Seattle or drive towards downtown Seattle when you're coming on I-5 from from the state of Oregon, the landmarks are are you know it's you see the airport of course, and then you see the Space Needle of course, and but you see T-Mobile Park and you see what is Lumen Field and the home of the Seahawks and the home of the Mariners. And, you know, I went to the top of the uh, Space Needle today. And I got an angry phone call from uh, the UCLA athletic director who was mad at me for the column I wrote this morning. But, um, you know, my point being, uh, for if you read it, you know that I wrote about a soccer player at UCLA who I encountered uh, at my hotel. The UCLA soccer team was staying at the same hotel. They played Washington last night, and... So I started talking to some of the soccer players and I told him, you know, I'm I'm a journalist. I write a column at johnconzano.com. I'm really interested in this move to the Big Ten that they're making. And one of the soccer players, a senior, uh, told me he's not happy about it. They just played at Rutgers last Saturday. They just, it was a six hour plane ride. They said out and six hours back. And he said, the comment he made, he said, it's just too much. He said, it's too much if you ask me. He said, it's too far of a trip. He said, we're students. it's You're asking too much. And I know that UCLA is making this move or wants to make this move to the Big Ten because there's a financial incentive to do so. It turns out that the media rights deal that they've talked about has been severely exaggerated. The actual numbers, I'm told, that the UC Regents are looking at, it's not $72 million, It's not $80 million a year in distributions. It's 62.5. So that's the number. The Pac-12 is trying to get as close to 62.5 as it can get with its media rights number. And maybe part of that is they're going to have Amazon involved, but everybody expects that number to be around 30. So if it's 62.5 and 30, I understand why UCLA is interested in talking or leaving to the Big Ten. Like, everybody gets that. That's not in question. Like, the money, we understand. But... I just feel bad for some of the athletes in the non-revenue generating sports like soccer uh, who are going to have to make those trips if they move to the Big Ten. It almost feels to me like Mark Few had the answer when he talked about the potential for uh, sports to break off. And maybe, maybe there's a basketball division of college athletics that has like 60 teams in it. Maybe there's a football division that has like 60 or 70 teams in it. They all sort of play in the same division. And then – Maybe baseball does the same thing. Like, you know, he talked about sports-specific, you know, why does Gonzaga have to play in the WCC? Shouldn't it be with the other best basketball teams in America? Um, I feel like the non-revenue-generating sports are getting a raw deal here because they are going to have to go out and play Maryland and Rutgers and travel, and I could see it. I could tell you, I was in the hotel lobby at 7.15 this morning, and there's a little restaurant in the lobby, and I was sitting in there, and the UCLA players came in, and they were dragging and They're facing a Van ride from Seattle to Corvallis today. That's where they're traveling. They're not getting on a plane They're taking a van from Seattle to Corvallis Then they're gonna play a game on Sunday in Corvallis Now that's a grind as it is but I can tell you uh, they were moving slow They were you know, it was an early call They had a 10 they were done at 1030 last night They lost the game three to two And, you know, the senior that I talked about, he said, this is not going to affect me. He said, I'm going to be gone. But he goes, if you ask me, he goes, we're students. He goes, it's too much. So uh, the UCLA athletic director called me. He was upset. He said, you know, you could have quoted another player who was happy that we were making the move. And I told him, I said, if there were a player there who was willing to talk to me about how happy he is about going to the Big Ten, I'm thrilled to talk to him. I said, can you give me me one of those players? And he said, no, we're not going to do that. And I said, well, then, what do you? Why are you calling me? Like, you know, let's. If you're calling me to complain that the piece that I wrote wasn't balanced, give me somebody who will help balance it. I said, give me an administrator, give me an alumni, give me, give me somebody who can speak to that side of it. And he said, no, no, we're not going to do that. Well, this is what we're left with. And I think every voice matters. If it, you know, you have 600 athletes inside the athletic, typical athletic department. I think every one of those athletes gets a vote, okay? And UCLA did a study. They say that the majority of athletes voted that this was a good move. I asked the AD today, I said, can I get the study? Can you give, can give me the data? Can you give me the answers? He said no. So, I, you know, I don't know what to believe on that front, but I do know that one soccer player on that UCLA men's soccer team who was willing to put his name to his words told me it's too much. They're asking too much. We're students. And I think that voice matters in this conversation. I almost feel like, you know, if football wants to go play football games in the Big Ten, let them go. But is that fair to everything else on the UCLA campus, every other sport, every other athlete? I mean, you know, maybe they'll start recruiting the Midwest and those kids will be happy that they get to play at Northwestern and Illinois and Maryland and Rutgers and you know, Michigan and everywhere else. But until then, I I got a feeling that the non-revenue-generating sports are not going to be very happy. Coming up, we'll play some Punch It Audio. We'll talk about the Pac-12 games. If you want to read that column I just referenced, go to johnconzano.com. Leave it right here.
1: Beavers, Huskies. This is the BFT from Husky Stadium on 750 The Game. Shoot a newbie,
0: Steven. Let's go through our Pac-12 picks. This is time. It's Final Answer Friday at, here in the 4 o'clock hour. you got to give your final answer uh, on your picks for the Pac-12 games of the weekend. Uh, Softy from KJR he, right here in Seattle will be uh, coming up uh, later in the 5 o'clock hour. But I want to know what your picks are. Uh, my picks are on record. I'm going to uh, double down. I will set the games up. And uh, let's knock them down like bowling pins. First of all, here I am at Husky Stadium for Oregon State, Washington. Game is uh, at 7.30 kickoff tonight on ESPN2. Uh, I'm looking out at the weather. I thought maybe a bunch of rain and a bunch of wind. I don't see a lot of rain. I see a lot of wind though. And the wind is picking up here as the game uh, approaches. So I'm looking at flags in various parts of the stadium. I think the wind will be a factor. Uh, you got a Huskies pass attack with Michael Pettix Jr. that is lethal. You have a Beavers secondary that's very experienced. That's the game right there. I think it's going to be lower scoring than most think, because I think Oregon State is going to try to take the air out of this game, and I think the the wind will cause Washington to have to run the ball a little more than they're used to. I have Oregon State uh, 27, Washington 24. Again, the Huskies are a four and a half point favorite in this game. I'll take the Beavers and the points. Steven, go. I am going to take
2: Washington and lay in the points in this one. And, you know, you had Mike Vrell on, and he echoed this. I talked about this yesterday. But Washington's run defense, it's been pretty good this year, 19th in the nation in yards per rush given up and 21st in yards per game defensively. He talked about how the run defense is really good. If you're making it so it's windy out and Gil Branson has to make passes to win the Mm -hmm. game, I don't trust that. So I think the Huskies can pack the box and can stop the run. I think Washington wins by at
3: least a touchdown. Judah Newby. Yeah, I got UW 2417. I like under
0: though. Okay. You you like the under. Uh, do you, any any concern like you know, look look, Washington has a whole bunch of sacks, but really their sacks came in two games. Any concern with Goldbrinson on your part, Judah, as Steven says, hey, that's a factor he's looking at.
3: For sure, yeah, and it's it's why I'm picking Washington. I agree with uh, – I think run defense at home as well is pretty good, and that's what the Huskies have here. So I think they're a quarterback in Luke Musgrave short of winning for Oregon State, and that I think that will manifest tonight, even though I'm rooting for the beefs.
0: Tomorrow, Oregon's at Colorado, 1230 on ESPN. I think the Ducks are looking for style points. I think that uh, this is an offense averaging 45 points a game in Pac-12 play. I think they do better than 45. I got them at 50. I think it's fifty to fourteen. Uh they're giving up thirty-one and a half. I will take the ducks and lay the points. You guys. I,
2: I am taking uh, the ducks to win, but I'm gonna take the points and thirty one and a half. Hold the nose on that one. Um, you know, Colorado's been playing a little bit better. You know, JT Stroud is in there at quarterback, he's a transfer of Tennessee. Uh, Colorado scored 34 points last game against Arizona State. I don't think they get 34 against the Ducks, but I think this plays a lot like the UCLA-Colorado game that happened back in September. It was a 45-17 win by UCLA, but that would cover the spread, and I think that's how this game's going to play. This Oregon offense, they are awesome. They may get to 50, um, but I think they're getting in the 40s, and Washington's going to get to 17-21 and stay within the number.
3: I like the Ducks, 55-20 to win and cover. There you go.
0: I, uh, I got him covering as well. Washington State at Stanford. This is Saturday at 1230 on the Pac-12 networks. Eric Morris, the coordinator at Washington State on the offensive side of the ball, has taken a beating in the last couple weeks. The offense has not been good. I'm looking for a bounce back. I'm taking a road team here. And again, this will be my third straight road team. Maybe I'm a fool. I've been all over the home teams in the last few weeks. But I think Washington State wins this game. Uh, they are favored by four and a half. I'll take them to cover. Uh, I don't feel great about it, but I have it 27-21, Washington State.
2: Yeah, I agree with you on this one. Uh, I don't feel good about the road team either, but I don't feel good about the home team in Stanford. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to take Washington State, laying the points. I, just, I have more faith in Washington State than I do Stanford right now. Stanford hasn't got out of the teens the last couple games. I think Washington State can get into the 20s, so I think Washington State, uh,
3: minus the four. Well,
2: Stanford's going to
3: win, so it's 23-21 Cardinal <laughs> at the end of the day.
0: You got them winning. They're a different team at home. I mean, and, and I, I really – I had a hard time this week because I think the, the games that we have discussed to this point, Colorado – Stephen's right. Colorado's been playing better. Uh, and the home teams have been great. And home favorites in particular. Talk about the Huskies, the stadium I'm at right now. Home favorites are 34-1 and winning games in the Pac-12. So I'm, I'm going against some trends here, but uh, Stanford, let's see what they have. Hey,
2: John, I wanted to ask you real quick about the – I forgot about the Oregon-Colorado game. Yeah. Uh, you saw that picture of snow on the field. Yeah. Uh, if it is weird weather and it snows in, at that game, do you think that affects the, that game at all?
0: It does because then, then 31.5 points I think is awfully enticing because that, that would suggest that Bo Nix is not going to be able to sit back there and just throw the ball and, like it's a nice, sunny, breezy day in Boulder. But I also think, like, I found it really interesting that they tweeted that photo out. Do you guys think they were uh, maybe trying to get into Oregon's head a little bit? I did. It was a a
2: great-looking picture, but I thought, you know, this is a little weird to tweet it out a day before the game like this. Mm -hmm.
0: And the forecast for the game is 60 degrees, partly cloudy, (laughs) no wind, no precipitation. I kind of just thought maybe they wanted to get that snow into Oregon's head, even though there's not going to be snow on the ground, because I think the the bigger thing would be Boulder just going, eh, everything's fine, and then the ducks show up, and there's a snowstorm that maybe they'd only heard about. Yeah, do, do you think there's some mental war- warfare going on, Judah? Yeah, definitely.
3: It's going to be beautiful.
2: That's why yeah. we need you at Husky Stadium telling us about the weather right up until kickoff, John.
0: And I'm telling you, the wind like now the wind has died down. Like it's <laughs> it looks like it's a pleasant evening here. Because, you know, maybe 15 or 20 minutes ago, it was really gusting. But I think it's going to be really inconsistent here at the stadium. And maybe it's not going to be that much of a factor. And if that's so, Michael Penix Jr. should be able to sit back there and throw a little bit against Oregon State. But let's see what they do. Let's move on. Arizona's at Utah. 430, Pac-12 networks. Uh, Utah's a 17.5 point favorite in this game. I don't think they're going to cover. I think they're going to win, but not cover. They're at home. They are a home favorite. They will win this game. But... uh, 'm just I continue to be impressed with Utah finding different ways to win I I keep waiting for them to just face plant because they're so banged up but uh, you know they're just trying to get to November 19th and Autzen Stadium, as healthy as can be. So I have it 42-31, Utah over Arizona.
2: Yeah, talking about how different teams play at home and road, Utah, a different team when they play at home at Rice-Eccles. Uh, and for that reason, I'm hoping Cam Rising plays, and if he does, I like Utah minus the 17.5. I think that they can handle Arizona. That offensive Arizona is good, uh, but that defense is very poor. I think at Utah, like you said, they're trying to get healthy, but I think that they get right against Arizona, uh and they cover the spread.
3: Yeah, I like Utah 40-30, so Zona
0: plus the points, Utah to win. There it is, Utah to win. Uh, it, if uh, Cal is at USC, I'm going to ask you a question at the end. Cal's at USC, Saturday, 7.30 ESPN. Uh, look, Cal's been bad. Jack Plummer's getting sacked a whole bunch of times. I think USC's really opportunistic in that way. Um, I, I keep waiting for USC to lose, but the bottom half of this conference is just not equipped to, to beat USC. It's not. Uh, it's their losses are going to have to come against the Oregon, against the Utah, against the UCLA entry, and I think those those losses are coming for USC. But this one's thirty one seventeen, Utah over Cal. I don't think USC covers. It's 21 and a half points. I I would take Cal on the points, but USC wins comfortably. I think they do
2: cover, and I think you touched on it. The the defense of USC is opportunistic, and this Cal offensive line is very leaky. Uh, That's going to force Plummer to make some throws where USC is going to take advantage, get those turnovers back, and that offense is cooking, man. I just can't trust Cal right now. Uh, I would lay the points with USC.
3: Same. Yeah, I've got SC 40 to 17.
0: Keep an eye on that one. UCLA at Arizona State Saturday, seven thirty. FS1. Uh, UCLA is an eleven point favorite in this game on the road. I think they cover. I think UCLA right now is all kinds of fired up, trying to play its way back into uh, the second position, maybe in the Pac twelve. They'd love another shot at Oregon. So I think UCLA wins this game going away. I just I don't trust Arizona State right now. I have it forty two twenty four.
2: You know this one, John. I I like Arizona State, and I think this is a sneaky spot where they may get an upset win. You know, I think they're going to cover the game for sure. Uh, but I just think UCLA. Uh, it's a tough spot, night game in uh, Tempe. Jalen Conyers, three touchdowns, six catches, 108 yards for the big tight end last week for Arizona State. He's going to be a problem for UCLA. I don't trust the UCLA defense, and they had great numbers going into or after the Utah game, but the Ducks proved them a little bit wrong. Um, I think Arizona State's going to be able to move the football on UCLA. I think they cover, have a chance to win, but cover at
3: least. Comes down to a last-second field goal for me, and UCLA escapes 30-27. Wow.
0: Wow. Okay, so you'll uh, you'll take Arizona State in the 11 on that one. All right, so let me throw this. I think I already know the answer for Steven, but of the top four, USC, UCLA, Oregon and Utah, who is most likely to lose this week?
2: Yeah, for me, it's uh, Arizona State. I, I think that UCLA
0: this, being Arizona yeah, State. I, yeah, yeah, I think
2: UCLA to lose Arizona State. I think I don't. I'm not going to pick it. Like if I was picking for my life, I would pick UCLA to win. But I, this seems like a weird spot. 7:30 at night. Uh, UCLA, you know, maybe a little overrated. Still haven't proven a lot on the road. So I think Arizona State's got a shot
3: to get them. <sighs> I'd have to agree with that. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Utah loses to Arizona. Even if, that was my other thought. D- yeah. Does Utah stub its toe? I I don't see it happening. So I think UCLA is on upset alert, though.
0: Arizona can score. I just I have a problem with that game being at Rice Eccles Stadium, where Utah is so good. Yeah, if that game was they in, don't lose there. If that game was at
2: Arizona, I think you could make an argument that that is a upset way to happen. Even if
3: Cam doesn't play.
0: Yeah, they're too good. They're yeah. too. They're just too good at home. That yeah. that that. That may be the biggest home-field advantage in the conference. It might be snowy. I
3: don't know what the weather's like, but it could get really cold for the Zona kids. Cold
0: Arizona kids. Yeah, they may not be having fun that night. I'm going to say a little different – I'll give a different answer on this. You know, I'm just looking at my picks, and I don't have USC covering the 21-and-a-half. Now, do I think Cal can beat USC? Probably not, but I think that game's going to be closer than the UCLA-Arizona State game. So I will say uh, reluctantly that I think, because there's no way Oregon's losing to Colorado, I don't think Utah can lose at home to Arizona. I think UCLA is going to blow out Arizona State. I think the Cal-USC game might be the closest uh, game in that bunch, guys. So yeah. I, I'm going to take Cal.
2: I mean, and wouldn't it wouldn't be weird, right? We've seen Wilcox pull these games out of nowhere and, you know, coach them up and play really good. Cal played with Oregon the first quarter. We'll see what they can do against uh, USC. I disagree with you, John, but uh, it should be should be interesting. I think this is a game that USC, they you know, we're talking about Oregon getting style points. USC's got to get some style points as well. I think this is a game USC does it, though.
0: Cal, this year, you know, they had the one game against Arizona where they just rose up and they scored it well and they fooled you that they almost won at Notre Dame. Like, every once in a while, they... Show you a little something. I wonder if Kai Milner gets some snaps at quarterback. How different they are on offense because the offensive line, as you mentioned, you called it leaky. You know, Jake Jack Plummer's been sacked twenty-five times. That's not fun. Like, and if he plays the whole game, I just don't think he's as mobile as Milner. I I think you know we saw it at the end of the Oregon game. Maybe Oregon had some seconds and thirds in the game late. Cal scored some points, but I was really impressed with the kid. He's a freshman. I like to see more of him, so let's keep an eye on that. Punch it audio's coming up. Leave it here.
1: We're on the road back to the BFT with John Canzano. Live from Husky Stadium on 750 the game.
0: I am in Husky Stadium. Rather, I'm on the eighth floor of the press box nice and warm up here, but uh, down on the field, uh, the Beavers will be suiting up against the Huskies tonight at 7.30 ESPN2. Wind uh, blowing, obviously. Looks like uh, the uh, flags that are on the actual posts though, are, are stationary. They are not blowing, but the flag above the stadium is now swirling. So I guess what I've been saying all game is that it's very inconsistent. It looks like a good night for football. There may be some rain in the forecast tonight. I think Oregon State's hoping for some weather. Jonathan Smith, he said that earlier this week. He said, we don't mind some weather. If it's wet and windy, we won't mind it. But uh, I want to see, uh, see what Oregon State does. This is the kind of game that a good team wins. <laughs> Sorry. What are you guys looking for tonight? Are you, are
6: you good? Yeah, are you right
0: over there? <laughs> You to go for good. it. Okay. <laughs> I am good. I needed a cough button, and I was gonna hit it. Yeah, yeah. But I also thought, you know what? I'm just gonna power through it. Authenticity. So. I thought yeah. you were gonna.
2: I thought you were just snacking. Right,
0: um, snack. No, not snacking. Coughing. Hot, hot dog. Do you ever there? get that? You no, know, Do you ever know? There's no food here yet. Uh. Do you guys ever get that um, in your throat where you get a little bit of saliva, but it's in between, kind of. You can't. You know. It's kind of just in your throat, but you're mid sentence, like when you're on air. All, all the
3: time. Yeah. That
0: one, you know it's, what I'm saying? Sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, get it. I get damn. into my updates. That's the worst. It's the bad t- bad timing. Yeah. I couldn't. I wanted to clear my throat, but I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll just throw to you guys. <laughs> no. Have you tell me what you're looking forward to tonight?
3: That, that's what a good you know producer staff would yeah. do. But instead, well, I just call you out. Yeah, and like, hey, make Nice you talk again. Hey, Are you okay? <laughs> are you
2: okay?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I heard nothing. Oh, John's not. John's um,
0: not good. Okay. Here's what I'm looking for, and then you tell me what you're looking for. All right. I I just want to see Oregon State's defensive backs against Michael Panix Jr. If the weather's good, that's the matchup tonight. What about you guys? I wanna
2: see uh Ben Golbranson. I-, I think it's very interesting that, you know, Chance Nolan is should be back soon, right? And uh Maybe. Well hopefully. You know, maybe, maybe not, but he I don't get uh, it. is undefeated as a starter, but he hasn't really you know, he made the big throw against Stanford. Uh I think that was a better catch than a throw, but he put it on it so he could at least make a play. Yeah. You know, is the he really guy chance. Yeah, yeah. Is he really you know, the guy? Is he a guy going forward that can win games for Oregon State or not? I think tonight is a game where I don't think there's a lot of expectations on him, but if he can make some throws, it's really going to open up that run game. I I, I want to see if he can do it.
3: Yeah, it's the coaching staff for me because it's a bye week. And I don't feel comfortable picking against the Beavers, especially because I think Jonathan Smith has got some stuff cooked up. I think Lindgren's got trick plays cooked up. It'll come down to some trick plays, I think, and fourth down and uh, special
0: teams. You Do you know, think that, that that Oregon State overdoes it with the trick plays?
3: I've had that thought sometimes. Yeah, they overcook it a little bit. But I, I think it's merited. In a yeah, game like I this. don't. <laughs>
2: I, I think it, you I, like it. I like it. I think it's part of their identity now. That yeah. going for fourth downs, like being ultra aggressive. I think that's what Jonathan Smith wants to go for. And I really like that out of Oregon State. Like they have a lot of confidence in their guys that, hey, we can pull things off against better teams and it's going to help us get the win. So I do, I do like it.
0: I think uh, you know the the weather. Is, you know when you look across the conference, this is the first weather game, this Friday night game. We haven't had weather be a factor in any other game this season, and I think it's more going to be the wind if it's anything at all. I, I'll, I'll buy Golbrinson because look, Washington State's run defense, while it's been pretty good, I do think you know their early part of their schedule. Remember, they were undefeated and. Sometimes your run defense is aided when you're winning games, right? These are six and two teams, right? So sometimes your run defense gets better statistical numbers because early in the season, what happened? Washington got off to a nice start. They won a whole bunch of games in a row. And, you know, the opposing teams, because they were behind in games and Michael Penix Jr. was putting so much pressure on opposing teams to have to score points, I think the opposing team was more inclined to throw the football. So I think the rushing numbers against that defense are skewed a little bit. I could be wrong. I want to see them. I also want to know if they're going to be healthy on the D-line. There was some question about whether or not one of their defensive ends was going to play. Let's see what happens there. But you mentioned Goldbergson. I think it's interesting. Chance Nolan has a neck injury. No one will say it. It's his neck. It's not a concussion. So I think they're being right to go slow with him. He wants to make sure he's healthy. I still hope the kid comes back at some point because I don't want the end of his college football career to have been tainted by what happened in his final two games, USC and, and Utah. I think I want to see. It. I want to see Chance Nolan finish the game, so to speak. So I hope he comes back, but. Is there a step forward for Ben Goldbrunson this week against a Washington defense that hasn't been great against the pass? I think if
2: Oregon State wants to win, there has to be. And, you know, you look at Oregon State, they've been a lot better at home than they have on the road. Now they've won some games, they beat Fresno, they beat Stanford, but they didn't play as well as they have at home, right? We've talked about that numerous times. Can Goldbrunson make some plays on the road where Washington has played better? They've played better at home than they have on the road. So I think it'll be very interesting to see how he can make some plays tonight and if he does i think it really opens up the run game for Oregon state
3: i think it's the receivers with yards after catch more than anything and they're good at that but it's got to be you know harrison bolden gould the pass catchers making plays after they catch high percentage balls that's what's going to get oregon state's offense moving
0: let's see what happens tonight softy from kjr will be coming up i keep promising you punch it audio i promise we'll play it the 5 at 5 is coming up next I'm at Husky Stadium where uh, they are getting ready for kickoff. We are now just, what, like uh, two and a half hours away from kickoff? I'm never here this early. This is awesome, watching this all come together. More, the final hour of the Bald Face Truth coming up. I want you to leave it right here.
1: B-F-F-T now, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, live from Husky Stadium in Seattle, site of number 24, Oregon State at Washington, here's John Canzano with a ball faced truth.
0: I am at Husky Stadium, as the big voice guy told you I was. Big football game coming up. We've talked about some of the Pac-12 games. We're going to get you all caught up on what is going on in sports. I got a bottle of water. So, you know, I won't have any more issues talking on the show. So I'm all good now, guys. So here we go. The 5 at 5. Let's do
1: it. The 5 at 5.
0: Well, Kyrie Irving has apologized. Kevin Durant wants to move on. It's unknown what the Brooklyn Nets will do. Kyrie Irving has been suspended by the Nets for no less than five games after he failed to formally apologize during a news conference on Thursday for the hurt that his post caused late last week, his post on social media. He issued an apology over Instagram on Thursday night. Kevin Durant uh, has come out and said, I don't condone hate speech or anti-Semitism. He said, uh, it's really unfortunate what is going on. Called it an unfortunate situation. Said it sucks for everybody. I agree that it sucks for everybody, especially the people who were uh, offended by what Kyrie said. That's number one. Number two, prized quarterback recruit Colin Hurley has reclassified. LSU got some good news. One of the top signal callers in the 2025 class announced he's going to LSU. He also announced that he's reclassifying. He's now the class of 2024. It'll put him on campus a year ahead of schedule. Six-foot, 213-pound quarterback from Trinity Christian Academy in Jacksonville, Florida. Had offers from Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Miami, Ohio State, handful of others. He's picking LSU. That's number two. Number three in our five at five. There are some uh, NFL players out. Let's talk about them. Chargers will be without Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, or Mike Williams against the Falcons. Chargers exited the bye week hoping to be healthier than when they entered it but they're not going to have their two top receivers in what is a Justin Herbert against Marcus Mariota matchup. Sunday, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, Justin Herbert will not have Keenan Allen. He will not have Mike Williams. Marcus Mariota on the other sideline. Aaron Judge's future in New York is up in the air. When it comes to Aaron Judge, though, the Yankees are not making a comment. GM Brand Cashman declined to comment today on whether he's been in contact with Judge's representatives on a new deal. But he didn't tiptoe around the importance of Judge to the organization. Said he's respected, said he handles business, said he's an elite performer. Judge hit 311 with 62 home runs and 131 RBI. Cashman said owner Hal Steinbrenner is gonna spend some time gauging the open market. That's number four in our five at five. Finally, the fifth thing in our five at five, it's a sad thing. Dave Butts, who helped the Washington NFL team win two Super Bowls, has passed away. He was 72. The commanders confirmed that Butts' family told the team about his death on Friday. He spent 14 of his 16 NFL seasons with Washington, broke into the league with the Cardinals where he played his first two years. He was one of the biggest players in the NFL. He was six foot eight. 300 pounds. You may remember the Hogs, key part of Washington's defense for the first two Super Bowl teams. They had the Hogs uh, blocking for John Riggins. They had Butts and uh, Daryl Green on defense. They were really good. He was. Uh, he retired in 1988. He was a member of the Ring of Fame, one of the 90 greatest players of all time. The team said on Twitter, it was "quote unquote" heartbroken over the loss of a Washington legend. There it is. That is the five at five. I ripped through those, but let's uh, let's unpack these guys. Justin Herbert against Marcus Mariota on Sunday. little nostalgia for Duck fans, uh, but uh, Herbert will not have his top two starters. I still think Herbert will outpass Mariota in that game. Am I crazy?
2: Not crazy oh, no, at, all. Not no. at all, no. <laughs> just uh, just based on how Marcus Mariota, I got no
0: pushback there. <laughs> no, 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 not at no all whatsoever. I
2: think Herbert is the yeah the easy choice on that one. You know, but the thing with the Chargers they've been not healthy all season long, and you know you would hope that they get healthy at some point. Who knows if they will? But they're four and three right now. They're in seventh place in the AFC. They need to you know rack up some wins. But Atlanta not the pushover we thought they would be. Leading the NFC South, uh, Marcus Mariota's looking pretty solid. You know, not great but solid. I think it'll be a very interesting game, and it's cool for Duck fans, you know, to see the two two pride and joys of the University of Oregon.
3: Yeah, was it a couple of years ago? We got Herbie and Marcus. as right around Christmas, and Marcus was playing for the Raiders and came on for an injured Derek Carr, and that was right. such a fun game in Vegas. So just to see these two legends go at it, I think that's so fun. So 10 a.m. Uh, Sunday morning, we'll be tuning in for that.
0: Here's another thing. I you know I saw an interesting. Uh, stat that the Pac-12 put out that they compared Marcus Mariota's numbers in his Heisman season to Bo Nix's numbers through to uh, through what, eight games of this season. And Bo Nix um, had more total touchdowns passing and running. Obviously, he has 11 rushing touchdowns, which is r- ridiculous. But their yards were similar. Their completion percentages were similar. Um, you know, what does Bo Nix need to do? To really get into this Heisman conversation, because he's kind of in it, but what does he need to do? Oh yeah, that's a tough one. Um, they just got to keep winning, right? I think
2: if they go 11 and one, he'll be in the conversation. Now I don't think he's gonna win. Uh, you you look at total touchdowns for individual players this season. Number one, Drake May, North Carolina. Number two, Bo Nix, right ahead of C.J. Stroud, way ahead of Hendon Hooker, who are the two favorites for the Heisman. I think the narrative is gonna push Hendon Hooker. Or C.J. Stroud to win the Heisman, but if Oregon keeps winning and they go eleven-one, you know I think Bo Nix may get an invite to New York, and I think that'd be really cool for him, you know, to bounce back after you know transferring from Auburn and uh, you know looking like not that his career is gonna be over, but now he looks like an NFL potential quarterback and uh, you know go to New York.
3: Yeah, if they win the Pac-12 and they you know win out the rest of the way, I think he goes to New York, don't you, John?
0: Yeah, I think I think he will get there. I I mean, look, part of the problem is in the Western part of the United States is just simply the vote. So what he may need though, is he may need if in order to win this thing, he's going to need, you know, Stroud's team to take a loss. There's going to need some losses in some places that, that, you know, that maybe fall on a quarterback, because I actually think when you line up Caleb Williams and Bo Nix next to each other, you know, I I think 10 out of 10 coaches take Caleb Williams over Bo Nix, but I think Bo Nix is having a better kind of statistical season that doesn't have like a 180-yard or 167-yard pass game. That you know, Caleb Williams had two games in a row where he threw for under 200 yards, and I think that that really hurt him.
2: Doesn't that have to do with just the fact that Caleb Williams projects as maybe a better NFL quarterback? Because I agree with you. I think Bo Nix has had a better season than Caleb Williams, but you project him going forward. You know, there's a lot of talk that Caleb Williams is going to be the number one overall pick when he comes out,
0: whenever it is. Yeah, I, I think he will be. And, I look, like Caleb Williams makes some plays that just your, your jaw drops. Bo Nix is working within Oregon's system. And I want to say he's a system quarterback because he's done much more than that. Like, he really hurts teams with his feet. But I think, um, you know, Bo Nix has got a lot of guys that are really open right now. And and the thing he's doing really well, I talked to Kenny Dillingham after the Cal game, you know, and right after the game, Kenny Dillingham said, you know, he, he, look at his numbers, look at the numbers with the backs. He goes, it's not sexy, it's not going to blow you away, it's not like, you know, it, it, it doesn't blow anybody away that he completed 10 passes for 167 yards and three touchdowns to running backs. But he's, he's changing the play at the line of scrimmage, and then he's also checking down within the plays. And I asked Penny Dillingham, like, how much freedom does Bo Nicks have in your offense? And he says he has 100% ability to change any play at the line of scrimmage. And he said, I'll take the heat if he changes to the wrong play because I gave him that autonomy. But he said that Bo Nix is mostly making the right choice. I haven't seen Bo Nix try to force anything maybe since, you know, maybe early in the season where he's tried to force a a pass that didn't belong, you know, in a a window. You know, he threw one on the goal line against Cal, hit a receiver in the chest, ends up in an interception. And, you know, that's as close to forcing as he gets, but the receiver should have caught the ball. Yeah,
2: that was a bad luck interception there. You know, he had the interception thrown against Washington State down by the goal line. That's really you know one of the last passes I can remember was like, oh, that's that's a Bo Nix pass. That's what I expected of Bo Nix. But yeah, I agree. He and uh, you know Kenny Dillingham, uh, he talked to I forget who he talked to, but I I pulled Feldman. Feldman, yeah, yeah, I pulled the audio and I was listening to it and he was saying that as well. Like he has given Bo Nix the autonomy to change plays and he's put him in situations where you know. If Bo Nix doesn't see the first or second option, it, it's a checkdown, and Bo Nix is doing that. So I think it's really awesome to see guys adjust their game and you know to be successful on the college level.
0: I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see what he what he does with the rest of this season because uh, it's just been fun to kind of watch this get unpacked. Guys on the field, Washington has just arrived at the stadium. They're in their uh, sweats. They are standing on uh, one. End zone, they're standing shoulder-to-shoulder uh, shoulder in one end zone, and uh, Kalen DeBoer, the coach, is out uh, talking to the team, and it looks like Washington's going to – they're in street clothes still or in their sweats, and they're now just – they're they're linked arm-to-arm, arm, and they're literally walking the length of the field. So now they're on the 5, they're walking to the 10. I've not seen a team do this, like Steven linked Steven loves to arm. this
3: stuff. He yeah. loves the good vibe juju stuff, right, Steven? Love yeah. it, yeah. love it.
2: Judy yeah. Judah gets me,
3: yeah. Tongue and cheek over <laughs> yeah. here. Stephen hates this stuff. Really, he's yeah. like, "This is garbage." Yeah, I, yeah.
0: They're linked, arm in arm. They're walking the length of the field. They're in shorts and sweats. Some of the guys are in uh, their regular clothes, but they are literally. They're at the fifty now. And I should I should like videotape this and send Ste- it to I think Steven. betting the beavers now.
2: <laughs> I would absolutely yeah. hate doing that. I just I just <laughs> oh, yeah. I hate that kind of stuff. I don't know. They're
0: now yeah, they're they're down to the thirty. You know they're getting down to the – Do they walk it? Like is it feels a little bit like it's Norman Dale measuring the baskets at at the field house and going, hey, it's ten feet. You know, just like in our gym in, in Hickory. Doesn't matter the so opponents. They're yeah. court. <laughs> the mighty Oregon State Beavers. You better make sure that the field's yeah. measured right. Hey, twenty
2: three in the CFP.
3: Judah, give them Dude, respect, hater. Yeah. Like I freaking love that. That's true. I don't like betting against them.
0: Yeah, but both of you, yeah, both of you did. We did. Yeah. Which is interesting to yeah. me. And and did, was there any part of you? Just be real with me. You know, because Anna said this to me. She said, "Look at Oregon State. They got ranked. They got into the." into the poll, into the rankings for the college football playoff, and she said this would just be the most Oregon th- State thing ever if they lose this game. Like, is there any part of you that just feels like Oregon State, like they're not ready to handle being ranked?
2: I do think there's a little bit of validity to that, um, but not everything. I think it's more – because if you're looking at Washington, they're 6-2 and two as well. I think you could play the game where they think they're overlooked right now and they should be the ones that are 23. Right. So I think there's, I think Anna's right in that sense because when, you know, Oregon State hasn't been ranked in so long. And it's a different, it's a different vibe when you are the one being hunted rather than the hunter.
3: So, you know, I agree with Anna on that one. It's just aware. we talked about this with Tennessee, Georgia tomorrow. It's like the higher ranked team is the underdog on the road. Yeah. If Oregon State loses, like Vegas says they're supposed to lose. It's not disappointing. It's not a bad loss. No. So, no, I don't, I don't think it's the quote unquote most Oregon State thing ever. I think making the CFP is awesome. It's just more timing of the schedule than anything. Hell, I would have ranked the Beavers after beating Fresno State in week two. They didn't, but they're they're ranked now, yeah, but if they lose this game and fall out of the rankings, that is not disappointing in any way, shape, or form. That is just how college football works. And yeah. I imagine
2: Washington would just take their
3: spot. Exactly. Right? Like Washington and, would never be 23. Mike Farrell just said, it's a pick 'em game. I mean, it's just timing of the schedule more than anything.
0: Yeah, I I think it's I think that if this game were a research stadium, Morgan State might be a small favorite in this game. I think uh, I think it's really interesting because you know Washington fooled us right out of the gates. We thought they were really good. We thought they might be a sneaky pick to end up in the top three in the conference because the way they started the win over Michigan State, then they went to UCLA and they got their teeth kicked in, and that was a I had picked them in that game, and I and I said you know what uh they're not that good like it it, and look we've learned about these teams throughout the season Uh, you know everybody's kind of finding their place now they're kind of i think we do have some divisions now in the conference of you know where they belong and where they fit utah we were sky high on utah right steven you especially you and me especially out of the gates sky high on them they're good they're not great they're good they're not great but you know oregon state i think is about where it should be in this conference i think it's about the 3rd or 4th or 5th best team in the conference on a given day played USC really tough uh, lost badly at Utah. I think that said a lot about Utah's home field. This is an opportunity for Oregon State to show, hey, this is we're ahead of Washington right now in our progression, which they should be. Washington just changed head coaches. So, we're going to find out tonight. We're going to find out tonight, you know, how good is Washington, how good is Oregon State because uh I you know, as much as I want to I want to say like you know, that, that game at the end of the year that we're going to get, that Civil War, the game formerly known as the Civil War, is going to be you know, a great game at Research Stadium. If it's going to be great, Oregon State's got to play well tonight. Got to show me they can play well against a competent team because now this isn't a bottom feeder they're playing. This is a competent team, and it's a road game.
2: Totally agree. And you know, if Washington is to win this game, then that game when the Oregon plays Washington is gonna be a humongous game as well. You know, Washington's gonna have some momentum going in. But I agree with you. I we've talked about that. the, the uh the rivalry game we would love to see Oregon State at nine and two taking on Oregon at eleven and one. Like how awesome would that be? I think it's gonna to be tough for both teams to get to that to that area at those records, but uh yeah, I think Washington gets it done tonight.
3: It's just even teams tonight, and you just have to take the home team for me. Yeah,
2: I think if it was at at Corvallis, I would probably take Oregon
3: State.
0: Yeah, here we go. We're going to have a fun time tonight seeing what happens. I want your phone calls. What do you make of this game? Uh, Oregon State at Washington tonight. I'm at Husky Stadium. What do you think the key to the game is? How into this are you? If you're a Beaver fan, how much confidence do you have in Ben Golbranson – and uh, the offense at Oregon State to stay in a game that Michael Penix Jr. can turn into a shootout. 503-417-7575. Hi, this is John Canzano. I have a question for you. Are you a business owner? Do you like free government money? If so, listen up. The federal government has promised more than $135 billion in tax refunds for small and medium-sized businesses that kept employees on payroll through COVID. Business owners are eligible for the employee retention credit even if they received PPP funds. RefundsPro.com specializes in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program to make it quick and easy. RefundsPro does all the heavy lifting, and most of their refunds are more than $100,000. Couldn't you use that money right about now? There's no downside to apply and absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. RefundsPro.com has helped hundreds of businesses qualify, and the best part? you don't have to pay a penny back to the government this is as close as it gets to free government money there's a deadline so visit refundspro.com to get started before it's too late once again that's refundspro.com
1: It's Friday Night Lights and Pac-12 After Dark back to the bald-faced truth from Husky Stadium on 750 The Game We
0: got some bunch of audio to play. I want to take a trip around the world of sports. I am at Husky Stadium. Uh, it was interesting. Did you guys see the University of Washington, the Washington football Twitter account tweet out the, the, uh, the uh, video of from the game here? And I want to say the game here was about it was Steve Sarkisian, Mike Riley era, and it was Sammy Strader getting uh, knocked out of a football game. He got literally got knocked unconscious in the game. Did you guys see that?
2: I did, yeah, uh, and they posted how they have to they have that dog in them. That was a little,
0: uh, yeah. a little over do the top. Think, is that a low blow? Judah, have you seen it yet? If not, I want you to get your live reaction to, nah, to this thing.
3: I'm going to their I, Twitter account now because I've not seen it yet.
0: I do think it's a
2: low blow because of the injury, right? Like, yeah. Like if, it was, if he didn't get hurt, no, but the fact that he was knocked out, I think it is.
0: It's also targeting. Yeah. Right?
2: It's, it's an uh, illegal hit, right?
0: Yeah, I don't know. But it's uh, they tweeted it out, and I was here at the at the stadium that night, and I uh, I actually think that like Steve Sarkeesian had come on our show to talk about this because Washington was playing I I would I'll say at best what could be described as uninspired football, so they had they had not been very good to that point of the year, and Sarkeesian. Uh, got mad at me because in the run-up to that game, I wrote a column that said Washington is the softest team in, in the conference. I don't know if that rings a bell with any of our listeners, but Washington came into that game and played really well, played very inspired. Sark came on, uh, uh, on Softy's show on KJR in Seattle to talk about it after that game, but this was the game that that happened where Strotter got knocked out in what would have been a targeting call, Judah, what's your live reaction to that Washington Football tweet?
3: Is this like the hype video thing? Like that's what I'm seeing. The like Isaiah Stanback is like no, no,
0: no. It's uh, the director of player development. Dog, it says. You know, basically, it's got a. Uh, it's got like an X-ray showing. Uh, you know the uh, oh. husky, and but look at the video part of that. Oh God, no.
1: Yeah.
0: It's kind of cheap, isn't it? Like I think yeah. it's a cheap, I think it's a cheap video. But here was here was Sark after that game. Uh, th- this was in 10, 2012. This was 10 years ago.
4: People were were really fired up this week, and there was a column written by a guy in in Oregon, John Canzano, who called the team soft and and questioned their resiliency. And I wonder <laughs> if you guys uh, kind of bring that up with the team this week.
9: Well, I think it's natural. I mean, you you can't. It's not. It's it's kind of in your face, you know. Mm. And I, I said this to the team and. Um, I've said it to to anybody who's really asked me. I've been I've been called a lot of things, you know, in my day, and probably mm-hmm. I'll, I'll continue to be called. But I've never been called soft, not tough, and not resilient. And so, um, but I can say it all I want, you know. You, it ultimately you have to you have to go show it, and uh, it's kind of like when you're in grade school and, and or middle school and you get called out to go meet behind Safeway and everybody in <laughs> the school is going to come and show up. How many times did that you happen know, for you, no, by I the way? I did that a few times, believe me. <laughs> Sunny Glen Park, you know. But uh, you, you either show up or you don't, you know, and everybody's going to know it. So we've are got
0: to go behind Safeway tomorrow night. There it is, Steve Sarkeesian. They did go behind Safeway. They did win that game. I remember Mike Riley, after the game, told me, did you have to write that this week? Um, I you know and look, it's bulletin board material, and it was true, but I get it. you know, I think Washington and coaches look for stuff like this all the time. Washington that on that occasion uh, was looking for any reason to kind of fire up their guys. And as I told Sark later, I was like, you know, you're welcome. I guess guess you need me in that locker room every week to help fire your guys up. But I, it, I think that tweet is cheap. I, I think it's a low class thing for people who know. Sammy Strader got knocked out on the play. It's a targeting call. It's a personal foul, uh, you know, in today's world and an ejection. And they're tweeting it out, you know, and sort of celebrating that. But I guess, I don't know. How bad is that, guys? Should Washington take that down? Do they owe anybody an apology, or is it just poor form?
2: I just think it's poor form. I mean, they could have chosen a touchdown pass or, you know, a good run or a sack or something where they don't get injured. Like, I just think it's poor form, and it was somebody just not thinking, right, or not knowing what happened in the situation, whether it's, you know, some student that does it or someone that actually runs the account. You know, I'm not—I don't need an apology, I think it's an honest mistake, and you know, I think they just didn't know.
0: Or it's somebody who ten- doesn't remember the context of right, what happened right. 10 years ago on the field. And I can remember exactly where he was on the field when that happened. All right, we'll play some Punch It audio coming up. Softy from KJR told me he's going to stop by. He's got a little break here coming up in his own show, so he's going to slide over and try to join us a little bit. I am live from Husky Stadium. Oregon State and Washington will be kicking off here at 7.30.
1: The Beavs are ranked. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano, live from Husky Stadium on 750 The Game.
0: Got some Washington players on the field here at Husky Stadium. Uh, I have not seen Oregon State yet you're a Beaver fan the wind has settled down I think uh, you know in the last couple of hours I've watched the wind go from stagnant to swirling back to stagnant and inconsistent Uh, I think there's a slight breeze on the field me couldn't be more than 10 miles an hour but I will be curious to see how the wind affects the pass game tonight and we'll be uh, interested to see uh, when Oregon State gets here Washington has been here for some time they've been on the field I have not seen Oregon State, anywhere near the field. But uh, that's probably not unusual as uh, I know the Beavers are here because I can see their equipment guys and I can see their equipment on the sideline, but nobody inside the stadium, at least inside sight right now. Uh, big Pac-12 weekend coming up uh, for Duck fans. I don't know if you feel like you have the weekend off, but you shouldn't. I think you need some style points against Colorado. Be interested to see how Utah plays at home against Arizona, how uh, UCLA Fairs against Arizona State, uh, in the NBA, man, the Warriors are struggling. Steven, help me out with this. The defensive struggles of the Warriors. What is going on?
2: Yeah, I don't know if it's just a uh, championship hangover or if it, you know, something like uh, they're just getting older or what it is. But they can't win on the road. Uh, they have not won on the road yet this season. Uh, you know, today, uh, tip off just about happening against the Pelicans tonight. Steve Kerr not playing. Steph, Clay, Draymond. Um, Andrew Wiggins, like they're giving them the night off just for management reasons. I think they'll be fine. I think it's just early season struggles. Like they're just yeah. not necessarily into the season. They've won the title. They've been there. Uh, but it is a little concerning with all the drama they had in the offseason with Jordan Poole, Draymond. But they'll be
0: fine. Are they trying to get Victor Wembanyama? Is that? To, I mean, they could, could be. They could be. Now think about that. That would be a good fit. Warriors get him and look out. We won't hear the end of it. Uh, let's play a little punch in audio. We got best sound from all around. Let's do it.
5: We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day.
9: You're going to hear little
0: snippets of sound.
1: Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by
0: First Call Heating and Cooling. Let's start with Kenny Dillingham, Oregon's offensive coordinator. He was asked about Bo Nix and the ownership that Bo has in the offense punch it.
9: I think really he's super smart and he's competitive and he cares and everybody knows he's talented you know he wasn't by accident the number one quarterback in the country so I think for him it was letting him take a lot of ownership and you know letting him understand why we're calling every play letting him understand what the hat counts are and the run fits letting him understand the pass protections who's blocking who and why and then saying okay Bo you're smart if you don't like what we have if you want to change it take ownership this is your show this isn't my show. I'm in the box eating hot dogs, right? He's on the field making plays. <laughs> and that's what I tell him is, if I call something and you're about to take the snap and you're not comfortable, right, that's not a good play. I don't care if it looked good on the whiteboard. If you're not comfortable, change it. And I think he's really botting into the the mental side of preparation.
0: Kenny Dillingham talking about Bo Nix. just what I talked about. I mean, he's sort of echoing what he said to me after the Cal game in that, he wants Bo Nix comfortable. He wants him to be able to call those plays uh, He will uh, and change the play if he doesn't like the play. But Bo did, he, Nix, did he tell yeah, you that he's eating hot dogs? He did not say he was eating hot dogs, which <laughs> I find to be amusing because that's the stigma we all get in the press box. There's no hot dogs here at Husky Stadium. I wandered out. I looked at the media meal and the spread during a commercial break. They've got roast beef sandwiches out there, but no hot dogs whatsoever. Tell you you what, it, made,
2: it made me like Kenny Dillingham more with that comment. Like I thought I that was
0: really funny. It's funny. We're eating hot dogs. Uh, Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker, top prospect based on his play this season. Mel Kiper Jr. addresses it. Punch it.
7: At the end of the day, it's about do you have the talent necessary? Hooker does have,
5: does not have elite arm strength, but he's incredibly accurate. He doesn't make mistakes. He does not throw interceptions game manager more than that. This guy is a great decision maker. What he's
7: done at Tennessee with Josh Heupel has been unbelievable. He's got great receivers. He's got a great line. They can run
5: the ball. so There's a great talent around him. But Hendon Hooker has moved, I think, into the late first round discussion.
1: At worst, the second rounder.
0: Late first, early second. He also signed an NIL deal with French's Mustard. That's right. Putting some mustard on it. It's an amusing angle. Uh, by the way, uh, Uh, A lot of people remember Ole Miss, Tennessee last year. Volunteers' fans were upset at the end of the game because there were some bad calls. They threw things onto the field. One of the things they threw onto the field was a French's mustard bottle. So bizarre that they have turned it into a running joke, and now their quarterback, Hendon Hooker, has an NIL deal with French's mustard. Kalen DeBoer, Washington quarterback. I'm here at Husky Stadium. He's talking about Michael Penix Jr. and the weather. I'm watching Penix right now. He was down on the field. He is. He's playing catch in the end zone. He's kind of warming up. But, uh, you know, here's Kalen DeBoer talking about the weather in the pass game of Washington.
8: Yeah, I, th- I think it does. Um, you certainly have to have uh, different different plans and um, different ways to attack. And, and we have all those things built in our offense. It's just a matter of which direction you focus on it a little bit more and you add to uh, what you already do. But, um, I mean, really it's the same offense. It's... That, that we've run for 20 years you know it's just that your folk you know right now because we have such a great skill set and have had so much success in the passing game you, you call a few more of those but um, we can get high percentage passes and find ways to get the ball to our best skill players and um you know in different ways and so you know we'll certainly always be ready for that uh, here in the next uh you know four weeks as we go through november
0: look this is uh crunch time for college football teams it's it's separation between the haves and the have-nots. Washington and Oregon State both trying to stay with the teams that are at the top of the Pac-12 conference. The winner of this game will separate. Joel Clatt talking about the Pac-12's path to the playoff. Do they have a clear path? Here's Clatt. Punch it.
8: To me, it's going to take some help, but there is a pretty clear path right now for the Pac-12. They have to avoid what inevitably happens in that conference, which is that they beat each other up. But right now, Oregon is sitting there, and if they were to win out, you can see a scenario where they would go to the college football playoff. Now, in that scenario, they better hope that Georgia also wins out. But then USC is sitting there if they win out they might have a really strong argument to go to the college football playoff, in particular if uh, TCU were to lose, if Alabama were to lose another game, and then again, Ohio State and Michigan gonna play each other. So there you are with like, that Pac-12, eight, nine, Oregon and USC, I, I kinda like it. I kinda like their path. I'm not saying that it's easy, and I'm not saying that they control their own destiny. But what I am trying to tell you is that there is a scenario there is a good scenario for the Pac-12 to go to this playoff. Joel Klatt saying there, he, there is a chance. Like, look, it's true.
0: I think USC's got the better argument. If USC goes undefeated, 12-1, and 1, they beat Oregon in the conference championship game, they're going to be a stronger candidate. They'll leapfrog Oregon by virtue of their win over Oregon, and they don't have the memory of week one and, you know, the 46-point loss to Georgia. Uh, I still think Oregon's best place. Remember, I talked about crossing the street on this argument. Look, you could stand on one side of the street and you could say, look, you want to see Oregon in the playoff because it's the best, uh, you know, scenario for the conference. They get the most money. They make the playoff. All that embarrassment of not being a playoff participant goes away. But uh, on the other side of the street is the argument that the best season for Dan Lanning would be you know, a 12-1 and conference championship, go to the Rose Bowl, beat Michigan, that's a really nice season number one to hang your hat on. Um, that said, I agree with Joel Cladd. I think, you know, there's a lot of ball left to play. I think the next three or four weeks going to be interesting as some of these teams play each other. Hell, we have Tennessee and Georgia playing each other this week. Uh, I think if you're an Oregon fan rooting for the playoff, you're rooting for Georgia to boat race Tennessee and send a message that Tennessee just is the best team in America. And You can have an embarrassing loss to Tennessee and still be a really good football team. That's the narrative that Oregon has to sell right now. But the only thing Oregon can control is the game they're playing against Colorado and then Washington and then Utah and then Oregon State. Those are the things they can control. Andy Staples talking about Arizona State. Andy Staples of The Athletic covers college football. He says Arizona State should be begging Deion Sanders to be their next coach. Here's Staples, punch it. I think some Power 5 school is going to go for him. The the one I think
7: should be begging him to come is Arizona State Hmm. because he's going to be able to get great players there. And at Arizona State, if you can get a roster that's better than most of the teams you play, you're winning eight, nine games a year. Like at Auburn, you're still going to need to be able to out-coach some of those guys and you know it would depend on who Dion hires as a staff obviously he's not as experienced as a head coach you'd have to hire a really great staff at a place like auburn i the, i actually think if, if lane were to go to to auburn maybe you look at Dion and old miss too if that if that were to open up but yeah that it's it's like arizona state you go just just stockpile players if you hire a good staff you can win that league
0: I think De- if Deion's smart, Dion is really careful about the job he takes, and I think he can get a better job than Arizona State if he plays this right. In the last three, three weeks, 60 Minutes, Good Morning America, and College Game Day have all profiled and highlighted Deion Sanders and the work he's done at Jackson State University. They're undefeated. First time in school history. Uh, they won 11 games last year. His, you know, He's getting attention because of this. Um you know, he, discipline, social media, recruiting. Um, you know, five of their wins by, are by 35 or more points. Four of them are by at least 40 points. Colorado, Georgia Tech, Auburn, all looking at Deion Sanders, and I think justifiably so. It would be a great get for the Pac-12 to get Deion Sanders at Arizona State or Colorado. But, guys, do you think he could do better? Oh. Yeah, Can he do better I mean, than the Pac-12?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think an SEC team would be calling eventually. Um, I think right now, I don't know if he could do it right now. I think if he's he's sold out another year or two, I think he could get a better SEC job. But if he's looking to make the jump, I think the Pac-12 would be calling this year.
0: Let's say Mike Leach leaves Mississippi State for Auburn, goes with his AD. Or Auburn calls, you know, Deion Sanders' number. Like, is it too soon for Dion to go to the SEC right now to a, you know, middle-to-low-level job in the SEC?
2: I sort of think it's too risky for the SEC teams to do it. Like, is Dion really going to be that good of a coach where you can say, you know what, we're going to put our faith in you and hopefully, you know, NIL can make you run with it, where in the Pac-12, I think teams are more willing to take that risk.
3: Yeah, Dion and Saban are doing commercials together for Aflac. I'm not so sure Dion wants to join his division. Yeah. I think he might join his staff first.
0: <laughs> Do you think that Dion Sanders is more valuable to Jackson State than he would be to a SEC program or a Pac-12 program? Meaning, can he create separation on that level of football that maybe he can't duplicate in the SEC? Oh, yeah.
3: kind of oh, feels yeah. that way. I mean, he got the best player in the country yeah. to come to Jackson State. so kind of feels that way. Yeah. Kind of feels like... He, but does like he, he, he th- want to stay there, you know? Is it a calling? Is it a vocation? Is it lifelong? Is it something meaningful and deeper? Or
0: does he want to coach in the SEC someday? He's having fun. And college football has turned into a game that is rooted in recruiting, right? So I think Dion could recruit anywhere. Like, ultimately, isn't the place for him at Florida State? Like, go back to your alma mater, become the coach there, win at a level that hasn't been seen before. Like, ultimately, like, someday... Maybe he goes to Florida State. Like, that feels like it works. But I think if he goes to the to the SEC, there are programs in the SEC that are just built to out-recruit the name of Deion Sanders. Like, they just have the budget to out you, so to speak, or the collectives do. So I just think he he can separate a little bit right now at Jackson State more than he can at those other places. I think if he goes to Colorado or Arizona State, it's risky for him. What if he doesn't win? Then he's done. Like Then people go, you know what, he eh, he couldn't really coach. He has to go back to small college football.
2: But if it does work and it clicks and he and he is a really good coach, if he's in the Pac-12, that could be a big-time run for wherever school he's at.
0: Yeah. I wonder if he wins. Let's say he goes to Arizona State and he, you know, he wins eight or nine games. Does he then turn and take an SEC job or go to Florida State as soon as that job opens? I think you run a real risk there. I don't blame Colorado for talking to him. I don't blame Arizona State if they want to talk to him. But I I actually think Kenny Dillingham is a better choice for Arizona State because I think Kenny Dillingham would be their forever guy. Really interesting to see this develop. Some final thoughts from Husky Stadium coming up. You got the bald-faced truth. Leave it here.
1: Beavers, Huskies, this is the BFT from Husky Stadium on 750 The Game.
0: Well, some of the Oregon State specialists are on the field. Washington's warming up. Everybody's pretty much in uh, warm-up stuff, not pads and helmets at this point. Football game coming up at 7.30 here at Husky Stadium. Uh, I have been here all throughout the run-up to this game. It is uh, neat to see some fans sort of trickling into the stadium. It looks like it's going to be a windy night, guys. I don't know about the rain. I can't. I'm no meteorologist, but... The winds are swirling. I can see the flag now uh, above Husky Stadium. It is uh, really gusting and moving around a bit. Uh, the flags down on the field that are on the goalposts are all sort of blowing out to the to the water to, uh, towards the bay and the uh, and the water that is out there, the lake. So, uh, if you are a football fan watching this game tonight, keep an eye on the passing aga- passing attack at Oregon State and the. Passing game of Michael Penix Jr., the Washington quarterback, could be a factor tonight. As uh, uh, you know, I can see over to the softball diamond, the University of Washington softball diamond. They got a great softball program here, and I can see sort of the uh, the uh, infield tarp that is over the softball field is blowing a little bit in the wind. And so, I think even at ground level, we're going to see some winds here that will play a role in this game. Keep an eye on it as the game unfolds and develops. Um, all right, some. Some final thoughts on the games coming up this weekend. Um, Let's just talk about, you know, you have some NFL games that are big. You have some uh, college football games that are big. Um, You know, we'll do what's on tap here in a moment. But, guys, before I do that benchmark, which game, if you can only watch one game this weekend between now and Sunday, what is the game you're watching? Any game.
2: I mean, it's got to be Georgia-Tennessee. Right? like <laughs> It's got to be that one. That game is so fascinating because we've been talking about should Tennessee be ranked number one? Should it be Georgia? Tennessee number one. All the public money betting-wise has been on Tennessee, but the spread has been going in Georgia's direction. So, like, I have no idea how to feel about this game, but what I do know is there should be some fireworks at a lot of points. And so that game, I think, is going to be really exciting.
3: Hey, Steven, I talked to you off air for, like, an hour today about all the <laughs> playoff scenarios. And if Tennessee loses this game and wins out the rest of the way, and if Georgia wins out but then loses to Bama in the SEC title, which could very well happen, we could be talking about three teams in the college football playoff from the SEC again. You know, like that, that conversation is actually real. And uh, comparing a one-loss Oregon and a one-loss USC, whoever wins out in the Pac-12, against a one-loss Tennessee when it's all said and done is an actual conversation to be had. So yeah, a uh, lot's riding on this one uh, tomorrow.
0: All right, let's uh, let's let it rip with what's on tap. What is on tap this weekend? Let's do it.
1: Now it's time for now it's time for what's on tap and what's on TV at the Independent on the BFT.
0: Oregon State tonight, 7:30 ESPN two against Washington. If you're a Duck fan, you're gonna want to check out the Ducks playing at Colorado on ESPN at 12:30. I'm going to fast-forward to the other games that are interesting. How about Arizona at Utah at 4.30 on the Pac-12 networks? And, of course, the nightcap, UCLA-Arizona State on FS1 at 7.30. We mentioned uh, earlier that uh, the Georgia-Tennessee game, if you're interested in watching that game, that game will happen at 12.30 Pacific time tomorrow. Number three, Tennessee in the polls, but number one overall in the – in the. Uh, playoff rankings. That game will take place on CBS at 1230. And then the big NFL game is on Fox 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. It's the Chargers and Justin Herbert playing against Marcus Mariota and the Falcons. All right, guys, last chance to change your picks. Okay. Are you coming to your senses here? Are you ready to take Oregon State over Washington? Or are you going to stick with your picks? I'm a little worried because I've been so good, Stephen, and you and I do not agree at all this week.
2: Yeah, I We're know. We're having a fight. One of us is going to be really good one's going to be really bad this week. But uh so so there's no rain it looks like. I think, you know, I think with no rain and just the wind, you know, I think Pennix will be able to sling the ball around a little bit still. Uh I I'm still leaning Huskies. I still like the Huskies in this one. It's unfortunate I want Oregon State to win, but I think Washington at home, Husky Stadium is going to be a weird environment. I, I think I like Washington.
0: I just saw Penix throw a ball. Okay, he's in the end zone. He's throwing the ball. He's throwing only about a 10 or 12 yard pass. Well, he threw that one nice. The one before that, he threw and uh, he threw errantly. So sailed I was, it. you know, he just sailed it enough that the receiver dropped it. But now he's throwing two in a row that are nice. Well, I just
2: he, I saw Washington with their arms hooked across each other walking down the field.
3: <laughs>
0: I am in now. I sent you the video of that. Judah, did you get the video of that too? Yeah, that's funny. What are they doing? They did a hundred yards that way. Huh? Are you coming to your senses? Are you ready to say, "Hey, this is Oregon State's night," or no? You're just not there.
3: I hate my pick, but I'm still picking the Huskies. The one thing that is in the back of my mind is coming off the bye week. Does Jonathan Smith have some extra stuff cooked up? And he probably does. Mm-hmm. I just it's a, it's it's more of a. Um, you know, well, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, but it's it's more of a, not a moral stand, but. No. Uh,
0: it, it, yeah, it's fine. You're making your pick. you gotta ma- you got to make your pick. Backup you,
3: quarterback and no a Luke Musgrave, you shouldn't win this game. And they can prove me wrong. They've proved me wrong many times before. But to me, it's just coming down to that. They're going to be that short in this spot. I, I
2: think with DeBoer also as a coach, I like him as a coach. You know, if it was Jimmy Lake. Different story. If it was in Corvallis, Hell different yeah. story. <laughs> but, I, yeah, I, you know, I think this Washington offense, DeBoer even talked about it. You played it at Punched Audio. Like He's going to come up with some things, if the weather is a problem, that is still going to work for uh, Washington. So I, I have faith All in right.
0: that. Look, tell me Washington's best win this year. Okay, They beat Kent State. They beat Portland State. They beat Michigan State. They beat Stanford. They beat Arizona. They beat Cal. Those are their wins. Can I go with none? Those are their wins. <laughs> yeah, I mean here's their losses. They lost to UCLA. They lost Arizona State, and you know, then they have the game tonight. So um
2: But you wanna know what the difference is, John. Is the games they lost on the road. They're games on the they road. won at yeah.
0: home. How about Oregon State's best win? They beat Boise State, they beat Fresno State, they beat Montana State, they beat Stanford, they beat Washington State, they beat Colorado. Is that a better resume? Who has the better resume?
3: The Beavers
0: beams barely. I think it's debatable, but I I think Oregon State's got a a, a stronger resume. What would like you if, say
2: Oregon State's best win is? Washington uh, State. I think home? the Washington
0: State game at home was was a little surprising to me how how good they were, but Washington State struggled on offense, but they only gave it 10 points. I actually think Oregon State's best win is a loss. It's the USC. The USC game. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I you
3: agree, know, what? Yeah.
0: they played great in that game. Do they have it? Like well, I was did, trying to get did they play great in that game. I think they did. They played the defensively great. Defensively that's great. Di- that's yeah. different. But I think if if you know, I tried to get Jaden Grant to say it this week when we had him on the show. I think Oregon State in that game, it was personal to them, and you know it's, there was something about USC. It was personal to Oregon State. They played very inspired. I wonder if they will take it personally tonight against Washington. That is a question. I don't know. I don't know if Oregon State's players view Washington the same way they viewed USC. Maybe they've heard enough about Washington's pass game and Michael Pennix Jr. and all that. If they have, maybe they show up tonight. If they don't, you know, there's a chance that, you know, Oregon State's worst performances have been road games, the game at Utah. And, you know, offensively, they had a stretch there between USC and Utah where, you know, I think it was like, what, eight turnovers in two games?
2: I don't think they relatively played good against Stanford either.
0: No. And, you know, that could have been a bad loss. Like, you know, people say they stole that game. I think they made a play at the end of that game, but – I'll be curious to see you tonight. I'll have a column. You can read it at johnconzano.com. We've got a photo gallery going tonight, too. And we'll be back on Monday to, to talk about what it all means. Next week's going to be huge as Washington is coming to uh, Autzen Stadium next week. So if you're a Duck fan, you're probably tuning in tonight to see what Washington's all about. Grab a podcast. I appreciate you, Judah. I appreciate you, Stephen. Everybody else who's part of the show.